also just uh, just uh, should I just play a little banjo to get us started here? Just uh, I'll just pull it out. Just play. Yeah, keep it keep it going. Let me and I'll read the tagline here. <laughs> a lot of kids get into trouble. These two invented it. Walt Disney Pre- Pictures presents Tom and Huck, the original comedy event, starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Brad Renfro. I, I'm sorry, sorry, I kind of got into a got into a thing there. <laughs> sorry, I was I was thinking I should bust out my little brown jug to uh, to accompany you. But if you if you bust out the brown jug, who's gonna play the spoons, Landon? Whoever will play the spoons? <laughs> uh, and and uh, a highlight of this movie for me, and I I'm jumping way ahead in where we're gonna go to. There is a scene where there is a band playing at a picnic, and there is one dude who at first I thought was just jumping around from foot to foot, and then I realized <laughs> on closer inspection, no, he's playing the spoons, but also dancing. <laughs> that was part of the uh, the the responsibility of the spoon player is everybody else is so stationary because instruments were so big back then that that was one of the few instruments that you could actually be mobile with. So um, I would say that the spoon player was the front runner to, like, the crazy gymnastic hair metal uh, lead singers. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. The the rock band Asia was a great debt of gratitude to the toothless spoons player of we the eighteen hundreds. We wouldn't have Angus Young dancing across the stage with his guitar if it weren't for the spoon players. You know, and what is what are a pair of spoons if not the original double necked guitar? I mean, there are <laughs> technically two necks there. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Yeah, this movie, huh? This this Tom and Huck. I mean, how how even does one begin? Short of how oh. we have begun. I well, I think uh, let's cover some some basics, some general information first. Um, okay, Tom Mark and Huck. Twain. <laughs> Mark they call Twain. him Samuel Clemens. Was his uh, was his birth name? <laughs> yeah. Um, let me. Okay, let's start there. Uh, how familiar are you with Mark Twain's work? And um, when was the last time you read? Uh, Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn? Let's see. I, I'm pretty sure I read Tom Sawyer when I was in middle school or something. I read yeah. Huckleberry Finn it, when I was a junior in high school and I had to write a term paper about it. So I remember that one pretty clearly. Okay. Um, and I've, to be and clear, I, this is this is based on The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, not uh, Huckleberry Finn, even though Huckleberry Finn is in this. But we don't want to confuse this with The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which was released two years earlier starring Elijah Wood. Yes, yes, a movie released two years earlier, written by the same person that does not have Tom Sawyer in it. Like, I assumed at first, like, oh, this is just like a sequel, and that he had a cool Well, it was intended to be. Yeah. Uh, Elijah Wood was supposed to reprise his role as Huck Finn in this movie, but he was filming Flipper at the time and couldn't uh, couldn't make it work. Now, now, what if Huck Finn was friends with a dolphin, though? What? Like, that is... I feel like Mark Twain himself would would be like, shit, I, sh- I should have done that. Mm, Haley's uh, Comet, come back around. I want another crack at it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it would be a lot more interesting to watch uh, Huck go down the Mississippi River with a less racist caricature um, <laughs> <laughs> and a more uh, magical realism uh, character in a dolphin <laughs> accompanying it next to his raft. I mean, you're... Uh, you're only assuming that that Flipper isn't a racist caricature, though. I mean, that's like, I mean, 
you know, fair, fair, yeah. I mean, I maybe he's Dolphin not representing. Yeah, he's maybe he's not representing dolphins very well. Maybe like maybe every episode of Flipper is considered by dolphins to be a glorified minstrel show. <laughs> um, um, well, I yes. guess while we're on the topic, uh, it, it's probably worth mentioning that you know anyone who's read Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn or any Mark Twain novel for that matter, uh, you're taking a little bit of the. Um, stereotypes, not even stereotypes, just the the general ideas of the time and transposing them to nowadays. This movie doesn't shed a lot of what I thought they might. Um, And so we have a character quoted in the book. The name of the the titular character is Injun Joe. Um, Yeah. The movie uses that term for him. I'm I'm going to propose okay, I don't want to whitewash history and and the source material, but we're going to have to say his name a lot in this episode. So I'm proposing we I, just call him Joe. I mean, we can uh, Joe or I mean I mean, yeah, I guess. I I I don't know. I think that well, for one thing, I feel like the term Indian has sort of been reclaimed by Native American people now. So yeah, but maybe this that's is okay. A play on engine and it's not even well, whatever. Yeah, I, I, yeah. We'll we'll we'll, ta- we'll take it as we come to it. I, I. Yeah. The only reason I I'm reluctant to make that rule is because I know I'm gonna fuck it up in like two and a half minutes. <laughs> um, All right. Well, I, I'm yeah. gonna claim him as the character Joe, and okay. I'm gonna drop the eponymous first part of the name. Um, and I will do my best, but I make no promises. <laughs> it is quite okay. warm in both of our apartments. True. Very true. Uh, so there's that that we have yes. to deal with. Um. Well, but but wait, what about your what? But I mean, I, there's another thing to deal with. What about your relationship with Mark Twain? Like, how uh, how well did you know him? <laughs> well, sir, I knew him well. The year was 1909. <laughs> it was a year before the death of Samuel Clemens. He got it right uh, there at the end, huh? <laughs> um, my ex- my most recent exposure to Mark Twain uh, was from a two part um, Star Trek Generations episode. <laughs> the, the 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 perfect material. I mean, that's what this that's what this movie is based on, right? Is a Star Trek Generations holodeck sequence. I, I do have a question. Uh, you know, leave it to me to come up with a theory, uh, and I do have one for this uh, this movie. But we'll get to that in due time. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, no. I think uh, the last I read Tom Sawyer was maybe I don't know seven years ago. Um, I had picked it up as just like a quick, uh, well, sorry, TMI, but a, a quick bathroom read, uh, just <laughs> something like, oh, you know what, I could be, you know, playing a game on my phone or staring at the wall. Why don't I try to enrich myself with American culture uh, and history by <laughs> reading something? And so I, and, I picked up Tom Sawyer for some reason. <laughs> and how did it? How did it, like Tom Sawyer versus the wall of your bathroom? I mean, what, what would you say you prefer? Um. Uh, wow, you were well, really thinking about it. <laughs> Big, huge diss, Mister Clemens. Oh shit! <laughs> I, I I went through about five different thoughts that I'm like, none of these are anything I want to divulge to the world. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back and just say I think Mark Twain is clearly a a really talented and skilled writer. You know, yes. there's not anyone who can do quite a turn of phrase like him. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Certainly and, not your bathroom wall. <laughs> no, and and capture the kind of somehow be able to turn the malaise of uh, childhood into an adventure, which is I think um, something that we still see the influence of 
to this day. I mean, hell, this is a Disney production of Tom and Huck, but I think that Disney in general kind of takes that template that he created and has built almost all of their movies uh, based on it. So, and, and a number of their theme park attractions as well. <laughs> true, true. Um, so, that, I don't know, that's my kind of experience with him. I didn't read a lot as a kid, so most of my reading was done as an adult. So I did not come across... Uh, or these books weren't super important to me, you know, in my childhood. Yeah. See, I was I, I was kind of the opposite. I did loads and loads of reading as a kid, and now I do basically none as an adult. So it has the effect <laughs> of, like, I was a very intelligent and cultured and well-rounded child, and now I'm just a dumbest dog shit You're just getting man. dumber as you go along, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just getting dumber as I accumulate more, like, wealth and clout and power in society and gain the ability to vote in elections. Like, it's not the way it should be done. I definitely should have done your thing and just, like, been into wrestling then and now be into books. <laughs> Or you could be into wrestling and books at any point in your life. I I don't know, man. That's a lot Get of the best things. of both worlds. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of things to keep straight. This movie could have done with. Actually, I guess there was kind of some wrestling in this movie, so maybe eh. it all it all comes together. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, okay, so there's there's that. Let's go through the the kind of behind the scenes. Um, cast and crew before yes. we get in you know because we'll be coming up on these actors as they appear so uh, yes. i figured it's time to just go into a, a few of these people let's start uh you had already mentioned the writers uh tasked with adapting mark twain and we yes. have uh david Lowry and stephen summers uh david Lowry, who has done um both of these guys have gone on to write uh and direct um Quite a number of things uh, before and since this. Yeah. Uh, David Laurie wrote, uh, I'm trying to see how far back he goes, but um, looks like. Did he like write an ER episode? He, he wrote Dreamscape, which is a bizarre oh. movie uh, that I kind of love. But he, uh, I think his big first, his first big thing was Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Um, and then goes into. Uh, some movies that I think were really impressionable on me as a, a kid growing up in the 90s. Flashback starring Dennis Hopper and Kiefer Sutherland, uh, mm-hmm. which is basically like a midnight run. But if you push <laughs> both of those characters to their extreme uh, <laughs> limits. Um, okay, yeah, pa- okay. Pa- Passenger 57, which is ah. uh, Wesley Snipes. Um, Disney's The Three Musketeers. Uh, and then... Oh, sh- Back to money. Tra- uh, back to Wesley Snipes with Money Train, uh, the prequel to Money Plane. I take it. <laughs> he it's did all the Money Huck. Train, he the second Tom baddest motherfuckers in the world. <laughs> he did Tom on Tom and Huck, and then didn't do anything. That was in '95. Didn't do anything yeah. again until 2008 with Lakeview Terrace, starring Sam Jackson. So you had to take 13 years off, I guess. I guess so. Just take uh, a little. And- I mean, well, Huckleberry Finn is such a rambunctious kid, and he vexed. He vexed this writer so much having to deal with him. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, and then went on to do The Intruder uh, and a couple other kind of pot boilers. Um, but I, Stephen Summers, uh, yeah. I don't know if you are familiar with this this dude. Well, I'm, I'm familiar with him because I did some research on him after the movie. He wrote, oh, he, did. he wrote The Mummy, which was kind of the first movie as a kid that I saw. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, something about this movie, it's like, 
it like the script is like really 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 noticeably oh, wow. good what is it like i loved the mummy the mummy was and because i haven't seen it in 15 years remains one of my faves like from that <laughs> period so when yeah, i saw, just keep it that way yeah it, it, just leave it in the past i'm sure the cgi has held up very well <laughs> Uh, well, this is also the the guy who wrote The Mummy Returns and The Scorpion King, so keep that in mind. Hey, 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 hey! Gotta you gotta gotta make that money, okay? Gotta make that paper. It's hard out there for a writer. I would write I would write The Scorpion King too if it meant that I got to you know put another uh, kitchen island in my house, and I call it Tom Sawyer Island. Perfect. Uh, but he's also a director. He directed Van Helsing. Um, really awful movie that uh, I will never forget because some of my favorite movies are the original Universal Monster movies. Mm. And when they originally released them on DVD, they did these legacy collections where they put all of the Wolfman movies together, all of the Invisible Man movies together, Ah, et cetera, et cetera. But they were all done to promote Van Helsing. So they all (laughs) have these uh, special features on them of Scott Summers, director and writer of Van Helsing, talking about how the original movie monsters uh, inspired him to make this movie. So there's this, there's always been this tint of like Scott Summers mixed in with stuff I love. Um, but he also went on to direct uh, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. And most recently, uh, his last directorial thing was Odd Thomas, I think, which was uh, Anton Yelchin's last movie or one of his last oh, movies. Sad. That takes us down a peg. It does. Uh- I, I, I want to quickly, though, just jump back to David Lowry for a second yeah. in his filmography. And I want to call out, I think you did a very good rundown of it, but I feel like there's a couple details that you missed. First, writer of the movie Dreamscape for 1984, I want everyone listening at home right now to, at your leisure, go to Wikipedia, look up Dreamscape, take a look at the poster for Dreamscape. It's and amazing. The poster for Dreamscape is the poster for Indiana Jones. <laughs> Like, yes, I, I don't know why the marketing team was like, let's take this because I've seen I've I've seen Dreamscape like years and years ago on TV. It's like Dreamscape. It's not like a swashbuckling adventure movie. It's like a psychological horror movie about going into people's dreams. It's and they've amazing. got they've got the hero wearing a leather jacket and a fedora holding a torch with like a woman Kate, Kate Capshaw style behind him <laughs> and like snakes and shit around the edges of it. Like, what? Uh-huh. what just because just cause Raiders was a big movie and this came out the same year as Temple of Doom, you don't have to... I guess this is the part of the show where I critique studio <laughs> marketing decisions from like before I was born. I think uh, it's, uh, it's it fits perfectly, for me at least, into that realm of uh, straight-to-video exploitation. Let's just ape whatever is popular at the moment and ride its coattails to whatever little success that we can get. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. There's qualms about that that you can definitely get. But to have Dreamscape cemented into film history uh, in any minimal way that it has uh, by writing the coattails of Indiana Jones, um, you know, I wouldn't have found Dreamscape otherwise. So uh, for that, I have to, you know, give it give it a thumbs up. Ah, I see. Okay, okay. So, so happy ending. Okay. And, and just... One other point that I want to make with regard to the movie Money Train, not to be confused with the current release, Money Plane. Uh, now, the movie that just came out, Money Plane, is particularly going viral on Twitter right now because they have Kelsey Grammer in it explaining, like, as the bad guy, what a money plane is. Specifically, it's the baddest motherfuckers in the world taking action on betting on anything. You want to bet on a dude fucking an alligator? Money Plane. So, okay, there's that. The movie Money Train... <laughs> 
ties into Money Plane because uh, it it co-stars uh, Woody Harrelson. So I think oh, yes. that both this and Money Money Plane both fit into the Cheers extended universe, and um, I love it. There's so that's that, not really it's a, that it's was that period there between when uh, the show of Cheers ended and Frasier began. There had to have been what a six month window there. Um, for the characters to just go out and do, you know, live their lives without it being televised. Exactly. And so exactly. I like to think that Wesley Snipes came into that bar at that time and <laughs> posed these scenarios to Kelsey Grammer and to Woody Harrelson. <laughs> and, you know, and I could completely see Frasier, dr- drunk, late cheers, middle of his divorce from Lilith, spoiler alert, <laughs> Frasier being like, you crazy bastard, I'm in. <laughs> As Victor Hugo once said... <laughs> Let's kick some ass. Um, anyway, anyway. Uh, yes. So yes, filmography for the for the writers and director. It's it's a hell of a thing. They've been yeah. all over the nineties. Uh, and then we have to go into the director of this movie, uh, ah, yes. Peter Peter Hewitt. Um, which I only have to mention. Well, okay, I, we can go through some of his recent stuff like Home Alone Four, uh, the Holiday mm. Heist, mm. <laughs> uh, the Tim Allen vehicle Zoom. Uh, oh, yeah. which I've never seen. Um, he also did Garfield, <laughs> the first. So, I mean, look, at, we're at a certain caliber of movies, but there's his first ever feature film is one that has endured me to him for a lifetime, which is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> the Fever Dream sequel to a Fever Dream movie uh, where they're posing <laughs> that time travelers are now interdimensional beings that can escape death <laughs> by beating him at Battleship. Uh, it's an insane sequel. I, I don't even... I have no... It's one of those that came out in the early 90s. I, part of this, like, batch of sequels that I think the studios just kind of gave carte blanche to these directors who... Um, had an unexpected success with it. Like, uh, Gremlins 2 is another one where it's yeah. like, how, yeah. how does that movie exist? Uh, the one that I always point to is, uh, Problem Child 2. The <laughs> first, the first Problem Child is weird enough, but then you get Problem Child 2, which is like Pasolini directing a Looney Tunes cartoon, uh, <laughs> where it's like, who made this decision and greenlit this and, put it out into the world and distributed it. I don't know, and I love that they were on so much coke that they couldn't tell up from down. Um, That there was a film industry at some point where it was like, (laughs) you know what, like, it's, like, the first... Like, and I know that they make dumb, ill-advised sequels all the time now, but, like, back then, something that is so clearly not a good idea or in the case of yes. problem child i'm not aware that the first problem child was even that popular and yet they still felt the need to make another one it was the first i mean i'm saying this because i was a huge problem child fan growing up where and a huge problem child the the first movie was uh bashed by every critic you can think of but it made a lot of money because audiences seemed to like it ah um, yes and so it got enough to at least get a sequel one that wasn't, you know, didn't have the already modest budget and uh, was just kind of left to their own devices to make it. And, you know, uh, now we have <laughs> the weirdest movie ever made, uh, <laughs> which is what it is. So yes. uh, that's the creative talent behind um, Tom and Huck. We could go into the producers and stuff, which, you know, can sometimes be interesting. But 
for the most part, you know, they're Disney producers. Um, and I, I think that in general, producers just need less attention. And like, if we ignore producers, maybe they will go away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are some good producers out there. I, I don't want to overlook them, I, but in this particular case, you know, Steven Summers is a producer. I mean, it's basically just Disney kind of hurting all of their, you know, who's going to keep this in our wheelhouse producers. Uh, and that's what they, that's what we get. And, and I have to say, like, now that we're, now that we have finally worked our way around to talking about the actual movie and not the poster for Dreamscape, um, which I guess was my fault that we talked about the poster for Dreamscape, but never, never, never mind that. Well, I do, I I do want to point out just one quick thing, a slight tangent, which is, uh, we talked about the poster for this movie, or at least I read from it while you were doing your banjo. Um, and I want to say I found a alternate uh, subtitle or not uh, tagline for this movie, and I oh, can't really? find where it's printed anywhere. But I want to point out this movie was released in December twenty second, nineteen ninety five, only a few months after the Will Smith Martin Lawrence movie Bad Boys, and uh, the alternate <laughs> tagline for this movie, which I wish they had taken and run with, was the original Bad Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Might I say, no, though, because... <laughs> Can you imagine Michael Bay directing this movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, call Aunt Polly. Tell her shit just got real. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, though, because... And, and to at risk of spoiling this uh, movie based on, on like, century-old source material, uh, the, the central crux of the movie is Tom and Huck deciding to make personal sacrifices in order to ensure that an innocent man is not uh, killed for a crime he didn't commit, which is, is the antithesis innocent? of what a bad boy would do, though. Like, that's not a bad boy. That's actually yeah. a good boy. They should be the original good boys. <laughs> they're, good go- they're bad boys turned good boys, but I think I can turn my argument that they're actually bad boys arguing for another bad boy. Uh, because as we learn, Muff Potter might be innocent of murder, but he's definitely not innocent. I mean, look, Muff Potter is like, uh, yeah, Muff Potter is not a great dude. And I do take issue with how quickly the town exonerates him for everything. <laughs> when, when it seems clear that this, this dude who they yeah. spend most of the movie defending is like, okay, well, I mean, not like he shouldn't die, but he needs help. Like he's not, <laughs> he, he goes from being like, he goes from being like imprisoned on murder charges to suddenly being like the given the key to the city, basically, all because they wrongfully convicted him. Uh, oh, there are a lot of questions like that that we're going to get into. Um, uh, and why, I, don't we, I, why don't we do it? Yeah, go ahead. Be- yes, and before we jump in, I just want to say, like, per the per the marketing of this movie and kind of my yep. overarching vibe of this movie, if you look at the poster for the movie, it's got goofy lettering, it's got, yeah. it's got Tom and Huck on it, both kind of poking their heads in mischievously from the outside of the screen, kind of grinning and laughing and making faces at you, and you kind of think like, oh man, yeah, they're going to be doing cool stuff, and the the movie is honestly, like, not, I was, I was surprised by how not a Disney kids movie how, this was, in yeah, terms of like, how few hijinks there were. There's not a lot of hijinks. They're really not that. They don't do that much bad shit. Yeah, and it's like not even that movie, many shenanigans. Not not a lot of hijinks. Not a lot of shenanigans. A paucity of hooting and hollering. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. I uh, and was there tomfoolery? I mean, I guess, but that's mainly because Tom Sawyer was fooling around, and that was all. <laughs> uh, 
but it's it's very I don't know it's just like <laughs> Tom Tom busts into the foolery and that's uh, <laughs> that's right next to the blacksmith where they make all the fools in the town. <laughs> well, and and they must have been busy because this town is full of them. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I like I I honestly had a fairly enjoyable time watching the movie, but I was just surprised. I was expecting it to be way more over the top nineties, yeah. and instead it was kind of just like no, here's a workman like little movie about a couple kids looking for some buried treasure and. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting. Um, but, well, you know, why don't we tell the audience about our experience? About Tom and Huck. Yes, of course. Yes. Let's do that. Uh, we start with the um, old school Disney Pictures logo, Walt Disney Pictures logo, which yes. uh, is not something I've seen in a long time. And, man, that immediately was nostalgic for me. Right, that one? God. Yes. Well, you, I think, went into E.T. there, but. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I guess I kind of did. They're all, they all sort of blend together. They're all they things do that sound make me cry similar. As a yes. Child. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I gotta say, so the the film opens, and I maybe it's because it's a, a film for kids, but you, you're adapting Mark Twain. If you're ever gonna put a quote before a movie, <laughs> like I was expecting a Mark Twain quote here, and did not get a Mark Twain quote here, uh, yeah. I already felt disappointed. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that, that was straight. They could have, or they could have at least like misattributed a quote to Mark Twain, like everybody does. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Just but no. Slightly reword it for your own purposes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of a good quote that could be reattributed to him that would like sum up this movie. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's like uh, always do the right thing, and instead of crediting it to that guy in the movie, do the right thing. You credit it to Mark Twain. <laughs> um. We get some uh, opening credits. We see the the people that are in this: Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Brad Renfro, yes. Uh, yes. and we'll go into a little bit of their backgrounds as we get deeper into the movie. But uh, we open. <laughs> we don't spend yep. any time learning about JTT's background at all in our day to day lives, so it'll be good <laughs> to finally get that. Yes, uh, we open on a dark and stormy night. Yes, <laughs> the yes. dramatic soundtrack to Deadwood is playing over the <laughs> <laughs> shots of a lone figure walking into town. Yeah, and he's carrying a he's carrying a gun for that matter. It's a big old rifle. Yep. Yeah, yeah. One that so, we yeah. never see again because he's all about knives from that point forward. Yes, yeah, so you really get your money's worth for for rifle carrying and knife throwing. It's like the 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 rifle is just a fashion accessory. <laughs> but as he walks in, uh, walks down the streets alone, uh, he walks by a tree where we see Tom Sawyer's name carved into it. Uh, does that play anything into the story? Nope. Just no. letting you know what movie we're watching. <laughs> no, no. Just letting you know that Tom Sawyer is out there defacing nature. <laughs> uh, this lone figure bursts into the uh, abode of a mortician who is trying his damnedest to make a corpse smile. Yeah. And, and this was my first indicator that uh like this movie is going to be darker than i expected this is not going to be like light-hearted hijinks like we've already got a dude walking around at night with a gun and a man playing with a corpse's face this is not the and, sort of and not even like i mean we we the opening shot of this scene is literally of the dead man's face being smushed into a smile so like it's not one of those disney shots where you're just kind of looking over the shoulder you know, up at the mortician as he's like, his hands are out of frame doing something where mm-hmm. we actually see what's going on. And I had the same thought where I'm like, Oh, that's not something you would see in a Disney movie in 2020. <laughs> I, I, I came into this 
with the mistaken impression that this was going to be my daddy's Huck Finn, and I have discovered, or my daddy's Tom Sawyer for that matter, but in fact, it was not my daddy's Tom Sawyer. Uh, Was it your grandfather's Tom Sawyer? Maybe so. My grandfather wasn't a mortician, but I don't know what he got up to in World War II, so maybe, (laughs) you know, maybe this is my my granddaddy's. Um... (laughs) But yeah, so uh, so this this uh, this gentleman with the gun comes in and starts talking to the mortician, and yes. uh, the mortician Doc Robinson is uh, looking for someone to help him dig up a grave, and offers this guy two bucks to do it. And this guy, who turns out to be uh, Joe, who we discussed earlier, yes, um, agrees to the job, and then engages in a little bit of a lean-in salary negotiation. <laughs> uh, yep, he leans in with uh, with that big weapon he was brandishing, the rifle. Nope. The knife. The knife. Uh, nope. Because <laughs> we don't see the rifle again. Um, and I think since we only see Doc Robinson in one other scene, uh, which is coming up, worth mentioning the actor's name, William Newman. Um, I know him best as Mr. Sprinkles from Mrs. Doubtfire, the really, really boring TV host that oh, Robin Williams yeah. replaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who's, who's standing there with the dinosaur models and the cameraman yep. is falling asleep watching him. Okay, okay. That's range. That's range. But he, he's also been in uh, The Craft, a movie that I personally love, uh, For the Love of the Game, uh, the Kevin Costner baseball movie, and mm. The Mosquito Coast with uh, Harrison Ford, among many, many other things. Uh, William Newman. William Newman, everybody. Let's give him a hand. And we, oh, we've got <laughs> William Newman here to say a few words. Uh, no, we don't. That... We just, uh... Oh, God, he was playing himself in Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he just wandered on set. That was just his shtick. Um, he thought that he was playing the really cool kids host who, and that the, that the movie is a tragedy that this awful uh, that this awful dude posing as an old English woman takes his job from him. But in fact, no, he sucks. Oh my god. We should do a Knights episode about movies or characters that enter movies that have their own movie going on. Uh, <laughs> Everybody anyway. is the hero of their own movie. Yes. Uh, Joe, yeah, puts a knife to Doc Robinson's throat and says, $2? I thought this job pays $3. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you're right, it does, uh, $3, graveyard, midnight, be there. Now, now here's what I like, though, you're, you're about to murder a man, you've got a knife to his throat, you could kill him right then and there and no one would notice, and do you double your money? No, only, only another 50%, that's fine, (laughs) like, I, I love that, I love that, uh, you know, don't, don't shoot, don't shoot too high, Joe. Well, Joe knows he's gonna murder him anyway, so this is really just a, uh, a, you know, kind of psychopathic uh, glee that he's getting out of torturing him. So really the amount that he's trying to increase uh, is, you know, if he goes too high, then he's going to have to deal with a prolonged argument about not being able to pay. Then there's begging Mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. He really just wants to torment him. So he's like, you can afford another dollar. Anything more than that, this is going to go on too long. I get it. So for, for Joe, it's not about the money. He's just really twisted Yes. Kind of like another villain called the Joe Kerr. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> no. Tom I and don't. Huck live in a society, and <laughs> this guy, uh, well, I don't know. You guys you guys can, can fill in the rest. Basically, look, or, he thought his story was a to. tragedy, but it's been a comedy. Um, <laughs> best Picture nominee. Okay, so. Uh, uh, it's midnight. JTT awakens in yes. bed. Yes. He, and uh, it turns out he he's uh, he shares a room with his uh, 
uh, in this movie it's a cousin, but in the book it's his half brother, uh, Sid, yeah. and. Uh, JTT uh, playing Tom Sawyer, but I've called him JTT throughout all of my notes. Um, yeah, grabs a bindle that he's been sleeping on, uh, hidden from you know the the watchful eye of his aunt, who we'll meet in a little bit, uh, and starts to sneak out the window. When Sid uh, stops him and asks where he's going, Tom says, "I'm running away." And uh, to keep to Sid go from be... talking, what's that? Well, he's going to run away to go be a steamboat captain, but yes, yes, same <laughs> same deal. Which is basically what Mark Twain did as a kid. Um, to keep Sid from talking, uh, he stuffs a sock in his mouth, doesn't tie it in there, just stuffs it in, uh, and then places a uh, tarantula in a jar on his chest, saying that it's the most poisonous uh, spider in the world. Or maybe not, but, yeah. you know, crack it open and find out. Yeah, if you move and if it breaks, you're going to die. Which, and to me, this is immediately like season one Randy theories. <laughs> yes. Like, this is yeah. real serial killer. Like, it's, a, it's setting the parallel between Joe and Tom. Yeah, yeah. They are I one would, and I, the same person. And this is only laying the groundwork for my theory in this movie. <laughs> uh, the, much in the same way that um, the Joker tries to make the point that he and Batman are different sides of the same coin. You see... Uh, it's yeah. just the world is so twisted, you kind of have to laugh at it, Landon. God. I uh, want to take a moment. I, I, yeah. Just because we're going to get into a lot of things coming up that I don't want to... We already stopped with the momentum, so I want to just mention uh, the actor who plays Sid, uh, the the younger cousin of Tom here. Um, his name's Cortland Mead. Now, <laughs> I don't uh. like to shit-talk child actors or children in general <laughs> this is this is always this is always a great lead into you shit talking a child actor so let's all listen and, and wait for the shit to begin uh well i guess that that alone is enough of the shit talk so i'm gonna leave it there and just say he was around a lot in the 90s doing a number of things um and that's that <laughs> Wow, he was okay. in The Shining, The Little Rascals, The Shining, uh, the, the TV series one that uh, uh, McGarris yes, did. Yes, yes, um, yes. And not, not, a, not a personal fan, personally. <laughs> it, it's just, I feel like the, the, the Shining franchise is cursed. Like, it's it's impossible for them to get a solid child actor to play Danny Torrance. I, I, like, liked, just... I liked the first Danny. I, I, I ah. felt like he was the perfect vessel for it. Uh, because he well, just you know, let the movie wash over him. You know, Kubrick uh, pretty notoriously kept the script from him, so he didn't know what movie he was in. And I think that that kind of disjointed nature gives a little bit to his performance, where I feel like Cortland Mead comes from this generation of child actors that know their child actors and are trained from early on. So there's this kind of like intelligence to them, but it overshoots the intelligence of the character they're playing. And that yeah. tends to bother me with a lot of child actors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, okay, you might have a point there. Maybe I should, maybe I should give the the Shining, the original Shining, another go. I just feel like he gets sort of upstaged by Jack Nicholson and uh, you know the 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 oh, guy in the bear suit yes. blowing that other dude. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard to outact that though. Um, but but uh, yeah, so yeah, that was Courtney. So J- JTT. 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 No, you, does no, you go. His, <laughs> 
No, no, you you go. I'm just saying JTT does what he does best, which is uh, which is um, brutalize his younger brother and uh, terrorize his younger brother before leaving that, to go get into you some know, trouble. That said, I could easily see Cortland me like if if Home Improvement ever had a recasting of a character, and they for some reason Tara Noah Smith couldn't do uh, Mark anymore. Cortland Mead would be the perfect Mark. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably why they cast him in the first place, was for for his markiosity. <laughs> uh, and then we're having Hick, uh, Hick, Huck played by a character named Brad. Oh, yeah, true, true. It all kind of it all kind of comes, you know, it's this Home Improvement Extended Universe, really. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he escapes through the window, and it turns out he's meeting a bunch of his buddies um, from town as they are all kind of running away together, um, and they hop on, well, before they do that, they run into uh, Muff Porter, or Potter in town, uh, the town yep. drunk, yep. Uh, and Mr. Potter, this is our first uh, first experience with him, he doesn't seem to give a shit that the kids are, are running away, uh, you know, man, he's, he's live and let live, he just wants them to engage in their, high, well, because also, though, and I, maybe because I'm more pro Mr. Potter than you are, I think. You know, they say, oh, we're going off to be steamboat captains, we're running away, and he says, when are you coming back? Never! And they run off down the street, and he just takes another swigging dose. Sure, see you tomorrow. So it seems like, <laughs> yeah, it seems to me the Potter that, knows... Before but that, like, he, he delivers yeah. one of the most depressing lines of the movie, saying, when uh, when he asks the kids where they're going, they're like, we're running away. Uh, we're running away from home. And he goes, ah, yes, I used to run away from home until home ran away from me. <laughs> Oof, yeah, that one... It- <laughs> Again, again, a, a dark movie on a lot of levels. It's dark physically, like, like it's dark emotionally. This movie looks into the darkness of the human condition. It does, yes, and finds uh, a treasure map there. But he, but this is the thing, though. He says, he says, "See you tomorrow." As they run off, so it's like he's seen the kids do this before. He knows the kids. He's like, ah, yeah, it's yeah. just youthful hijinks. Yeah, uh, I guess that's that is our our first taste of hijinks in the movie. Um, yes, first sweet sampling of hijinks. <laughs> so the kids run off. Uh, they get on uh, a little raft that apparently they've created and, and stowed away, uh, and they are off down the river on their way to New Orleans. Yes, uh, for about uh, for about three seconds. <laughs> yep, <laughs> nothing can stop us now except a minor little tiny rock in the water, which seems to somehow completely break this thick raft, like it was a thing of twigs. Like, have you seen in like uh, in like a movie where there's a car chase and the car like suddenly it crashes into something, but then it clearly like the production has hidden a ramp behind <laughs> this other thing, and it seems like well the car would just bang off of that, but instead it like flips and crashes into a house and explodes. Like, the, yeah, again, I, I was Michael so, Bay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If the only the only thing that Michael Bay could have added to this boat crash scene is a gigantic orange fireball and maybe like a helicopter <laughs> shot with an Aerosmith yeah, song and slow motion. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, which I would not have opposed. <laughs> no, I mean it's really it's very intense how badly this goes and it, it, how. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying this is a a bad movie by any means. It's really middle of the road, but at almost least, aggressively middle of the road. <laughs> And I'm not saying that Michael Bay would have made it better, but having that take on it would have made it at least memorable. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but, which I should say, I, I forgot to mention up front, um, I've seen this movie once before, uh, and it, it exists in a time of my life that was, I feel like, just a sliver. It had to have only been about three months' worth of time um, when I was 13 years old, 
and I saw this and went, oh, I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> like, at 13, going to see Disney uh, film productions, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I couldn't quite articulate it at the time of, like, not knowing why I didn't like it or, you know, feeling like I wasn't engaged with it. But uh, I was cer- – this is certainly one of the first where I'm like, oh, yeah, mm, this isn't for me. <laughs> so much as much as Tom and Huck in this movie are kind of like – it's a coming-of-age story for them and like signposts on the road to their adulthood and manhood, you also – this movie was kind of a coming-of-age uh, moment for you. Wow. Yeah? Yeah, it makes you think, Doing the it? the hand pantomime of my brain exploding. I, you know, that's what we do on this podcast, Landon. We we hold up a mirror to society and confront um, interesting parallels in our own lives. We should put that on iTunes. JTT um, and his friends are torn asunder uh, by this minor little rock, uh, tearing their raft in half. Um, like, just, just they could have made this this raft. If you've seen the videos on Twitter of, like, oh, it's a sandal. No, we're going to cut into it. It's actually a cake. It's like this raft is made of cake. That's how quickly the thing breaks apart. His but, two friends uh, are, are saved. Uh, they they do not encounter any danger. They are safe on the shore. But Tom, uh, JTT, gets sucked under and is only saved by a blurry visage of another long-haired boy. Yes, and uh, and he's dragged to safety on the riverbank. And uh, then his friends find him, and they all just kind of decide, to, you know what? Uh, let's give the let's give the going to New Orleans to be steamboat steamboat captains thing a miss. Let's just let's just go back <laughs> to being kids. <laughs> uh, and then they run home. This is the first of many many instances that I'm going to bring this up in this episode. So check your annoyance uh, barometer now. Um, <laughs> okay. What the fuck is up with the the time in this movie? Because. They leave presumably at midnight-ish to go, you know, run away. They barely get on the river, it's torn asunder, and then they run home and it's daylight. Yeah, yeah, I mean, unless unless they had actually been on the river for hours and then they or hit that left speed at bump. five in the morning. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know how far they were supposed to get or anything, but yeah, they... they by the time Tom returns to his house, the sun is out and it's breakfast time. <laughs> and he climbs in back through the bedroom window. Um, his family is downstairs already. Uh, they listen to the giant footsteps of him. And I, at this point, I was already wondering if his aunt and, and cousin... Uh, well, of course they know he was gone because when he comes downstairs, his aunt sets the jar uh, with the tarantula still in it on the kitchen table. Excuse me. Uh, kitchen yeah. table. Yeah, he says he says like, "Oh, what what's for breakfast?" And she sets the sets the thing down and stares <laughs> at him and he goes, "Can't I just have some scrambled eggs?" Which I'm going to I'm going to this was something that I noted is that generally in this movie, like I was expecting this movie to be just packed full of JTT cool one-liners and <laughs> I, well, something that I was pleasantly surprised by is that generally the movie doesn't have that many. This is basically the only, like, hey, he's a teen heartthrob, girls. Like, otherwise, <laughs> the movie is generally pretty straightforward. Yeah. So so savor this one, if, if that's what you're in it for. <laughs> um, and then I, I want to preface uh, all of our listeners right now um, to turn your volume down, because I want to reiterate the sound I made when I saw the ant in this movie. Uh, played by an actress by the name Amy Wright. Um, I went, ah! That's unpleasant. That is an unpleasant sound. (laughs) 
It's uh, I love Amy Wright so much. Um, and I, she just does not show up in that many things that I see. Uh, but I, I fell in love with her from, uh, seeing her in Breaking Away, uh, Mm, as a young kid. She was in The Deer Hunter, uh, the Amityville Horror. Um, recently, Criterion Collection kind of blew the dust off of this film, uh, from the early 80s called Girlfriends, uh, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I kind of re-found her, uh, when I saw that and, reminded me i'm like oh my god breaking away um or uh, girlfriends is from 78 actually uh and man i just uh yeah she's a a john houston film with brad dorif called uh wise blood she's Mm. just she's a fantastic actress and i did not she was the last person i would have expected to pop up in this movie was she also in Breaking Away 2, Electric Boogaloo? Or was that, or did they have to recast her role for that? She was in Synecdoche, New York, which is oh. just as crazy. Yeah, that's honestly, that is, um, that would make sense. Per our discussion about crazy, insane sequels earlier, that would be an insane sequel to a movie about a kid riding a bike in Indiana. <laughs> He's Philip Seymour Hoffman making a play that becomes the world. Yes. Uh, so Amy writes, oh my god, I love her so much. She's playing Aunt Polly. Yes. And uh, she is upset at Tom for all of his constant mischief and his uh, and his carrying on. And so she, you know, Tom is saying like, "Oh, I guess you're gonna have to whip me. Oh, I'll get the switch. You gotta whip me." And she says, "No." <laughs> to the no. point where he's like a little too insistent about it. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, he's discovering his kink. All right, and let's not shame him <laughs> for that. Not I don't a know. lot of leather clubs in that part of Missouri. I've been uh, not to go too deep into my own personal viewing history lately, but I've been. Watch or reading up a lot on the '60s, and it's brought me to a lot of uh, John Wayne's later work, and mm. I've kind of rediscovered the kind of scuzzbagginess of John Wayne's personality of this, oh, yeah. like just the the stiff upper lip toughness, like just whip me and get it over with, so I don't have to listen to you goddamn mouth, you know? Like it, it kind of like has that sort of sensibility to me. Uh, JTT in the scene where it's just like whatever whatever torture you have to do to me do that to me instead of letting me or forcing me to listen to what you have to say now I read it differently I read it as him saying like I I saw this is actually kind of a a well-crafted character building moment and I'm actually not being facetious here because I know that I often use this tone of voice when I'm being facetious but he I, I saw it as very much like uh, you know what, fine, I would rather take a few seconds of pain over being forced to do work my least favorite thing. Like, I thought, I read this as, like, him him trying to say, like, look, I just, just kick my ass a little bit, that's fine, then I can go off and have my day of being rambunctious. So, yeah. I, I kind of liked this, but... but well, well, pa- even, even if he were whipped, he was still going to be able to do, or still forced to do his chores, which was, yes. uh, you know, the, the... All famous uh, painting the fence, whitewashing the fence scene. A very long yes. fence that he's forced to paint white. Yes, they, uh, that is, the, and the length of it is uh, heightened by this like dramatic pullback from Tom's horrified <laughs> face at the length of this fence, as though he's never seen this fence before in his town with three buildings in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so he he starts whitewashing the fence and white and whitewashes like two of of a thousand planks on this fence. <laughs> And then not even. I mean, he does like a maybe a two foot diameter circle uh, on yeah on two of the planks. Yeah, 
And then, uh, but then he makes a point of, like, whistling and acting happy as this other kid is walking by, and he uh, convinces this kid that actually he's having the time of his life whitewashing this fence. And now, uh I'm not gonna say that this is morally okay, but <laughs> what I will say is that if Tom Sawyer were alive in the 20th century, um particularly the later half of the 20th century, I get the sense that he would be a very wealthy, uh, <laughs> industrious, um, you know, Wall Street or corporate executive of some sort. Hey, hey, Tom, what you doing? Oh, I'm just driving my personal car around, picking people up, taking them where they want to go, buying all my own gas and paying for maintenance on the car. It's lots of fun and a great way to make money. I don't know, Tom. Oh, no, you should do it. Here, download my <laughs> app. Like, that, you'd, you'd have... <laughs> I got I got sixteen billion in VC funding. I've never turned a profit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then he and then he'd be testifying before Congress and like Ocasio's going after him and he just like waggles his eyebrows at her and she's like, Oh Tom <laughs> You know, it's so much fun when you don't make fun of me and take me to task. <laughs> Why don't you try it sometime? I'm having so much fun doing it right now. And then, and then all of a sudden, she's she's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we're just not being nice enough to these billionaires. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very uh, that is a very that is a very good observation. He would be. He, I could see him like. Let's let's look closer at Enron's like filing paperwork. Maybe he started Enron. <laughs> Maybe he was just a really really nice manipulator <laughs> with a very evil core. Yeah, um, but he in record time. Okay, I'll also say, so he, in record time, convinces this kid that whitewashing offense is fun. Yep. The kid starts begging him to let him do it, and he says, well, what do you give me to do it? And so the kid gives him a green marble <laughs> yeah. in exchange to start whitewashing the fence. Here's what I'll say. Yeah. Dishonest, yes. But also, if this kid is dumb enough to fall <laughs> for this, better he learn the lesson in a situation where the stakes are fairly low than, like, he grow up and move to the big city and get his kidney stolen or something. So... But I, I th- is he yeah. too stupid to even learn the lesson? That's a very, uh, that's a very good point, Landon. He is. <laughs> he, I don't. I don't see him coming out of this and being like, "Hey, what gives?" <laughs> hey, wait a minute! Give me oh, my come on now. back. Why do you guys always give me the business? Um, and then we get we get like kind of a bunch of fade shots then of like a group of other kids. Or join him and are whitewashing the fence. Which now, what's, the, what's the argument that Tom made to them if he wasn't <laughs> the one washing the fence and saying, oh, my God, this is so much fun? How does he get them to join in on something that he's not even doing? Maybe it's like a pyramid scheme thing where it's like <laughs> if you recruit six other people to whitewash this fence, then it's you like, get your marble back. What are you going to give me? You give me you give me your marble. But would you like to make two marbles? I'll tell you what. Yeah. You get two more people to do this and you give each of them to give you a marble. Then you suddenly doubled your profit. <laughs> you can double your marbles in 90 days. <laughs> and also, like, also... What what is confounding to me about this is that for Tom to be able to get out of this task, he only needs to recruit one kid. But yeah. the fact that there's like a dozen kids doing this implies that okay, I wriggled out of having to whitewash the fence. Now I'm going to spend my whole day convincing other people to whitewash the fence. Like you're still kind of you're still putting in labor. <laughs> exactly. Like, Just go be Tom. You don't have to fuck with the fence. And then at a certain point, all those kids are going to unionize, and they're going to realize you're the only one that hasn't been. <laughs> painting this fence and then you're out in your ass man i guess that's why no, in the next scene he just immediately runs away into the woods 
Yeah, that's that's ultimately what the head of Uber is going to wind up doing if the regulators get any closer. But also, Tom, Tom would convince the, all the kids that it's way more fun to be an independent contractor and, and have the 1099 tax form. Yeah. Oh my god. Nothing's uh, worse than being eligible for unemployment protections on healthcare, you guys. He runs off into the forest, um, and then he runs into uh, runs into a, a boy. Uh, the boy he recognizes uh, that saved him uh, from the river the night before. The boy is Huck Finn. <gasps> what? <Huh>? Huck? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and so many. Qu- also, he runs into he doesn't run into a boy. He runs into Huck Finn's uh, leg, which he sticks out from behind a tree to trip him. This is oh, a common. Right. This is actually, I guess, some of the tomfoolery of the of the movie is a lot of Huck tripping Tom. Oh man, I feel so bad for Brad Renfro. Huck Finn is just the character written on the page here is so lacking and does not match Brad Renfro's talent. No, no, he, yeah, it's it's odd. It's odd, definitely. Like I think that Tom is pretty well characterized in ways that I will get to in a second. But I feel like Huck is kind of just like. Well, this is this feels like the perfect time to bring up my theory. Uh, okay, go un- until the end, which there are some definite holes that are poked in my theory. But for the majority of this movie, Huck Finn does not interact with a single other character except for Tom Sawyer. And oh shit! T- to the point at which I had to ask: Is he just a part of his imagination? Are we dealing with a Tyler Durden here? Is <laughs> Huck Finn what Tom Sawyer wants to be? I am Tom's blinding rage. <laughs> That's a very interesting thought. It's kind of a kind of, or like the Ferris Bueller's Day Off fan theory, where it all takes place in Cameron's head. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. The first rule of being a steamboat captain is you do not talk about being a steamboat captain. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> so when when Huck takes Tom to uh, his little dwelling, which is basically just a, a crevasse between two rocks, um, not even a roof, not even a roof, not even it's a just roof. Some, it's just some junk and a crack, basically. <laughs> uh, just bottling up all the comments i want to say to that uh yep <laughs> to the Do point it. where um tom is like you know what i got pinned for uh stealing a pie last week now i'm thinking it might have been you uh <laughs> so we're already seeing a kind of merging of the two two personalities right from the get-go uh <laughs> and huck finn appears during a moment of trauma for tom uh, possibly hitting his head on a, a rock at the bottom of the, the river. Who knows? But I'm just saying the intro to Huck's character comes as kind of a, a majestic manifestation. True, yeah, yeah. A, a deus ex and I, if you will. Um, <laughs> God from the from the hillbilly kid who lives outside town. What, and I think that's a very interesting observation. What I, w- what I would say vis-a-vis Huck is simply that I... I really like, I, I, I thought it was interesting and I liked it that the movie didn't bother trying to tell an origin story about them or yeah. put a whole lot of background into it. It's just that, like, you know, Tom sees Huck and is immediately like, oh, Huck, you're back in town, holy shit. And it's, like, kind of established that they have this whole history as friends. And also, another thing that I that I found myself finding very refreshing about this movie is that even though Tom is very clearly the cool guy who, you know, is the coolest dude in town and he's always got a scheme running and he's so yeah. clever... He's uh, like, still wearing like a, his helmet and pads in this movie, which really I, bothered me. 
fresh off a game of Blade Warriors. <laughs> uh, but he, even though he's portrayed as the cool guy, it's like he very clearly like admires and respects and looks up to and craves approval from Huck, which yeah. is just sort of a cool level of depth and vulnerability to his character. Whereas normally, like I would think that a JTT movie in the '90s, like you look at you You're look at the cool other for that like, shit, yeah. Yeah, like getting even with Dad, which we watched, where um, every single scene is here's how JTT is going to be the coolest guy in the world. Right. He's, and in, he's and bulking this... at the nerdiness of all the other kids in the the you know the the group that they have there. Yeah, but in in this case, he is not uh, he's not afraid to like be clearly in awe of Huck and clearly want to like do whatever Huck is doing and hang out with Huck. Yeah, uh, strange. No, I was going to say, it's strange that we're dealing with two JTT movies in a row that has questionable um, depictions of Native Americans. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's weird. It's almost as though there's that. like, it's almost as though there's something in American culture. But that couldn't maybe, be it. Maybe Disney culture as well. Uh, <laughs> maybe but, maybe yeah, Disney's... Maybe Disney's brand of folksy Americana is rooted in a more uh, racist and paternalistic <laughs> uh, society, but that that couldn't possibly be the thing. So the the yes, gist they, of the scene that we get here is that um, as Tom is kind of looking up uh, to Huck, Huck is kind of explaining his philosophy in life that um, you know he he's just uh, a, a wanderer, a free spirit. He goes where he wants. He does what he wants. Uh, and he's yeah. got this idea of being, you know, a free man again, kind of playing into this John Wayneism. Um, but again, I, I realize that's my own bias I'm bringing to the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a rambling man, basically <laughs> trying to trying to make a living and doing the best he can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they they chat out there, and I don't really. Uh, I mean, I honestly, I don't. I I kind of am fuzzy on how we go from there to them in the graveyard. Oh, I, I know I've got it. Like yeah. A, well, okay. there's there because this is a really amazing sequence here where the, I think the last important thing to take away from the scene is Huck's lack of understanding around social normities and rituals. Normities. So yeah, <laughs> when Tom extends his hand uh, in friendship, Huck is like, "What's that for?" Uh, and he's like, "Well, it's just uh, it's a handshake. It's, it's a what hand. friends do." <laughs> It's for grabbing stuff. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, oh, okay. And then they, they shake hands. Um, and then we cut to a scene that, uh, or a shot even, that I would imagine is easy to block out of your mind unless you have just seen it like I did. Which was, uh, we cut to a teacher squeezing the face of a young child oh, as he right, admonishes yes. her. <laughs> um, yeah. I laugh, <laughs> but it was also kind of disturbing. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, as he's admonishing her, Tom walks in late. He yells at her while still squeezing this child's face, tells her to sit down. And then as she turns her back to him to go take her seat, he smacks her on the back of the head. It was yeah. such a brutal, <laughs> brutal, uh, I don't know, um, action taken by this bit player. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like, okay, I'll do the role, but only if I get to hit a kid. So you hire me a child actor I can hit. I really want to hit some kids. Um, but then we see JTT pull out some of his manipulation tactics on an adult. What? Ooh, bad boy. Ooh. Uh, he suggests it's to the teacher, um, well, if you're going to punish me, please, whatever you do, don't sit me in the girls section. Yeah. And the teacher's like, oh, Mr. Sawyer, once again, you haven't outsmarted me. And so he makes him 
sit not only with the girls, but makes him sit next to the prettiest girl in class. Yeah. Uh, a young, young Rachel Lee Cook. Yes. Now, yes. are you familiar with Rachel Lee Cook? Uh, I mean, loosely familiar. I mean, as, as, in as much as anyone is, in as much as anyone who is currently... Oh, yeah, she starred in the English version of the film Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you're just going by her immediate IMDb credits, you're going to miss uh, her most iconic stuff. A, she is the the poster girl for the unfortunate trope of... Uh, you're pretty when you take your glasses off from She's All That. Oh, uh, yes. But I think she's iconic from two other things. One, uh, my first experience with her, well, outside of this movie, would have been she was the This Is Your Brain on Drugs girl, where yeah, she yeah, put yeah. the egg in the, the pan and then started smashing up the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. But then went from that over her career to the iconic role of Josie from Josie and the Pussycats. Of course, yes, yes, yes. Uh okay, okay. I'm just looking at I'm just looking at other things. Let's see. Yeah, American Crime, uh Antitrust. I remember Antitrust. Okay. Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> it all ties back. It all ties back. What a society. Uh I I actually really really like Rachel Lee Cook. I think she's one of these actresses who kind of hit a, a weird patch for some reason in her career like in the early 2000s and like hasn't found a more mainstream vein to get back into but i think she's incredibly talented and uh would love to see her in more stuff they have a name for people who that happens to that name is child actors they uh (laughs) they you know make a make a promising start and then hit a weird patch that they do or do not recover from yeah well i mean i mean she was doing okay all the way up until like She's all that and Josie and the Pussycats, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe they were just two box office hit, uh, losers, and then that kind of tainted her moving forward. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the per- story perhaps, of Rachel Lee Cook, but I want to. Perhaps she wasn't all that. <laughs> I think she was all that, and I think the producers and writer and director of that movie wasn't all that. How about that? Ah, How about ah, that, sir? I can't top that, so um, <laughs> I, I guess we should... Anyway... Moving on. Yes. Uh, JTT is seated next to uh, seated next to her, ba- yep. Becky Thatcher, played by uh, Rachel Lee Cook. He tries to give her an apple. She refuses it, uh, and he tries to give it again, and then she hands it to the oh. dorky girl sitting in front of them and is says she, that what, it's why, from... Why is she dorky? I mean, I, I know you're not putting that label on her, but... I'm wh- not putting that label why, on her. Why does this movie think that girl is dorky or nerdy or ugly or whatever the, the joke is at her expense here? Was like, well, because that girl is, is, well, okay, because the only girl in the room who is wearing professional studio makeup is Rachel Lee Cook. <laughs> therefore, she is the, therefore, every girl except her is dorky. That's, got it, got I, it. I, I don't, I don't make the rules, dude. Some, some 50 year old male movie producer makes the rules. <laughs> it was just, it was such a cheap joke uh, that yeah. I'm like, are you, I could tell this was made in 1995. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, but then the school day ends, and uh, they everybody, all, all the frolic. And I, I, wrote, I wrote the word frolic quite a lot in this uh, in my notes for this movie. There's a fair amount of frolicking. Again, kind of surprisingly, like, uh, and a thing that I also noticed about this movie, I thought a lot of it, like, a lot of the shots were just beautiful, and a lot of the locations they used yeah. were, like, good. Like, this is the scene. Everyone run, all the kids running out of this, all these kids in period costume, running out of this one-room schoolhouse, 
and like running off through this big, you know, field of, of wheat grass or whatever to get back home. And it's just kind of like, wow, this is like pretty. And this is also like, <laughs> I just, you know, it's not like they're playing fast and loose with the history of it. It's like, yeah. you kind of feel like this is that they put some money into making this look like the 1840s. Yeah, right. And it's, it's I just surprising that they, that then with the poster for this being like, get ready for some teen heartthrob <laughs> hijinks. Um, so Becky frolics off into the forest and comes to a bridge where, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, uh, is balancing on one of the, the handrails, um, yep. in what feels like a, a precursor to Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You for some reason. Um, Heath Ledger, who also played oh my God. a certain <laughs> comedian. <laughs> Who Landon was just just ever so slightly so, twisted, so kind of bitch. like Tom Sawyer. Oh, um, <laughs> so she doesn't miss a beat as soon as she passes by him, uh, pushes him off of the bridge to his death. End yeah, of movie. I, <laughs> do 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 do. Directed by Stephen Sommers. Um, I was as soon as she did it, my heart jumped into my throat because I'm like, oh god, he's gonna hit his head on a rock. This is not okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a scary stunt. I don't know. Don't, don't try this at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he should have been wearing his helmet and his Blade Warriors pads, but, but then (laughs) only acceptable time. (laughs) Only when you're trying to flirt. Uh, flirting (laughs) is a full contact sport. Uh, he's, so he's there under, he's, so he's sitting there in the river underneath the bridge. And now this really does lend credence to your theory because just, oh yeah, oh, Huck happens to be down there smoking a corncob pipe underneath the bridge. Looking for jackasses. Yeah. Why are you looking for jackasses under a bridge, Huck? I don't know. I I didn't catch that. Well, he says, I found one, didn't I? (laughs) Because it's like, it's it's pretty solid, it's a solid bit. Uh, Yep. But uh, yep. Tom tries to explain uh, that Becky was flirting with him. Tom just or uh, Huck just does not understand how society works. Uh, to be honest, I don't either. So uh, I'm with you there, Huck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's like, "Oh, cool. Well, if you're done flirting, I got a dead cat in a bag. Let's go drown it." <laughs> well, how are you going to drown a cat that's already dead? Uh, you can't can do try. that. Landon. You can try. Let me turn I... you on to a little movie called Inferno, directed by Dario Argento. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I will give that one a look. I'm sure it's family friendly. Um, but uh, they they go traipsing along through the river, and Huck explains that by taking a dead cat to the cemetery, you can get rid of warts, and that's what they're going to try and do. Yeah, so... he gives this long-winded explanation about the cat, the ghost of a cat draws off the the spirit of the devil, so that the person with the wart, I don't know, it's some sort of kooky magic. Yep, Kooky Magic was the alternate title for this movie. And uh, if you're interested in those sorts of remedies, uh, folklorish remedies, I highly recommend you support the Museum of Jurassic Technology in Culver City uh, that has an entire exhibit uh, dedicated to exactly those sorts of things, uh, and I'm sure they are in desperate need of uh, funds during this time. So uh, just yes. a little shout-out shout out to my favorite museum right down the street for me. Okay, yeah, uh, don't don't go there in person, but maybe just Venmo them. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Tom and Huck take their dead cat to the cemetery at midnight, and Again, there... how long have they been walking around with a dead cat in a bag? School just got out. Why is it midnight already? What the fuck is going yeah. on with time in this movie? A- Hannibal, Missouri is either located in, like, a weird, like, time vortex, or <laughs> it is the largest 
small town in in history where like everything is 16 miles away from everything else where where is skinwalker ranch is that that's that's more in the south right that's or i mean more in the <laughs> desert right that's like arizona or I, somewhere I, it's not in mississippi i believe so i believe so okay. yeah i don't All think right. that can be the explanation for it <laughs> um but they reach the cemetery where they spot uh, Doc Robinson and Joe and uh, and uh, Muff uh, Muff Potter, the town drunk, yep. all uh, all working to dig up a dead body. And they, they hide and watch the fireworks. Going to Birkin Birkinhara grave uh, for sure. Um, and Muff Potter is complaining; he just wants a drink. Uh, but they don't let him have one. They keep digging, all to find, as we find out, uh, that they're digging up a treasure map. Yep, buried a uh, treasure map that is buried with a uh, buried with some old lady's body, and so when they <laughs> when they yank the body out of the ground, uh, Doc Robinson pounces on this treasure map that he finds and is very excited about it. Uh, but but uh, he gets beat the fuck up by Joe, who uh, then yep. stabs the hell out of him. Yeah, in in a moment that again, like in in case you had been lulled into a false sense of security and begun to believe that perhaps this was once again your daddy's tom sawyer no a du- they they full-on watch uh, him stab this dude a bunch of yeah. times and muff potter tries to stop the violence but he gets knocked out cold by joe why and, would uh, joe not just kill him there <laughs> yeah yeah the town drunk who nobody likes um, well i guess if he needs to pin it on him to completely absolve himself from the crime then he needs somebody I mean, it's not like we're dealing with pistols here where you can, you know, do a, you could fake a murder-suicide. You can't fake a, a stab-stab. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, and then I have a question for you. Did they omit yeah. from the book uh, Joe's complete blindness? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Is but, Joe oh, oh, yeah, because part in, in the T-Rex? Book, uh, well, I, I have that question... <laughs> That that seems like a thing because it comes up later on in an even bigger way, and I in yes. fact made that same joke when I was watching the movie that that that, that happens. I don't know. It happens I, three I do... times in this movie where he is literally within two feet of seeing them and cannot see them. There, yeah, there's this bit where yeah, when he's stabbing the guy, Tom and Huck are on the other like they are like three feet away behind a wrought iron fence, clearly visible to the audience. Yeah. Like I, I can only think of in 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 the video game XCOM Two, you will be moving your little soldiers <laughs> around to try and ambush people, and sometimes I will have a soldier taking partial cover behind a wrought iron fence, and there's like an alien on guard three feet away who just because of the game's design, like oh well, this guy isn't close enough for the alien to see him, so he's not there. It's like I feel like that's it. Like yeah, like uh, Joe just has really bad AI and can only see you know in a little <laughs> cone in front of him. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Uh, yeah. But um, at the stabbing, uh, Tom and Huck, they get scared, they scream, they run, uh, but uh, but his uh, JTT's sleeve gets caught on something, and the marble falls, uh, and he leaves it behind as they, they run into the woods. No, they run into a cave, I'm sorry. Yeah. Not a woods. And, uh, <laughs> woods and caves, different things. Very and uh, Joe, Joe picks up the marble and looks at it, and from there, he we sees go the to... universe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it, uh, Orion's Belt. More movies from the 90s. <laughs> uh, but uh, JTT and Huck, they are hiding in a cave, and they're going to do themselves a blood oath uh, to say that they will never speak of what they just saw this evening. Yep, yep. So they uh, they sign this oath. I, fortunately, they have a pencil with them, but they write this oath on uh, 
or well, Tom writes, Tom the literate one writes this oath on a, on a piece of board and they sign it in blood and agree that if they ever speak of what they saw, uh, they'll both die and rot and horrible things will happen. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch, but why would JTT manipulate every other person around him into doing what he wants, but not Huck? If he knows that Huck can't read and he's going to sign it, get him to sign it in blood, why wouldn't he write something that's going to forever bound Huck to him as opposed to this frivolous thing of not telling this crime that they just witnessed? You know, that's an interesting point that you make. I would say, A, it's because Tom has, like, like seems to view Huck as, like, an, an older brother or perhaps even father figure who he reveres. Also, uh, you know... Tom is mischievous and rambunctious, but he still abides by certain rules, much mm. like Batman. But Joe, Tom's nemesis, uh, believes in a world without rules. <laughs> or is it that the one person that Tom wouldn't manipulate is himself? Ooh. And so but, Huck, being the Tyler Durden of Tom Sawyer, means he can't, but, he can't dupe himself. That's true, but also, is there anything more manipulative to yourself than inventing an imaginary friend who you believe is real? <laughs> um, yes, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, we, from there, we cut to JTT wakes up in bed again. Um, a storm rages outside. Uh, apparently, this little town in Mississippi, Hannibal, Mississippi, is... Uh, Missouri. Is it Missouri? It is Missouri, yes. Oh, they're going down the Mississippi, which is a river in Missouri. It is a river. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Um, Come on, dude. <laughs> uh, apparently, it's the most rainy town in Missouri. But uh, he's uh, he's having night sweats. He looks outside, and he sees uh, a tree blustering with wind and rain. And then a figure emerges, and it's Joe! And he bursts through the tree... Uh, burst through the window with a knife, bringing it up to Tom's neck. Uh, but it was all a dream. Everything dissipates. He used to read Word the... Up magazine. <laughs> Everything dissipates in the morning light. Um, and uh, Sid asks if it was another bad dream. And uh, then goes to tell his his, his mother. And that's yep. it. That's a, he does do that. That was a, that was a scene that happened. That, it, it was a scene. You can't unsee it. Um, so, like, what 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 I've got next is just that Muff is charged with murder in the morning. There's, like, they found the, yeah, they found the body in the whole off. town. There's a murder out. that's happened. God, if only, right? If only that was how it worked. If someone got killed in your town, they just didn't have school that day. Yeah. Oh. And then there's basically a mob rule scene where everyone has uh, circled Muff in the, uh, I guess, the town square, the whatever will become the city hall, I guess, you know. Uh, I, this is, <laughs> this is the, the staging ground for where they'll put the 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 clock tower that's going to uh, be able to send people back in time in the future <laughs> yes exactly lightning will strike here in a hundred years um <laughs> but yeah they found they found muff potter's knife with the body and so uh, you know it's a pretty clear-cut case detective columbo it's uh, clearly muff potter who did it and yeah. so the well and has it's, got him... it's made all the more um stringent by the fact that joe appears and accuses potter saying i yes. saw him do it yeah, and uh, Muff is not able to mount a very good defense. Nobody in town particularly likes this, this you know, yeah. boisterous drunkard, so everyone 
Like, and they, people go, I mean, they've, they've got a noose out, they're throwing it around his neck, they're ready to lynch this dude, uh, when, yeah. um, when the, the local judge, who also happens to be, uh, who also happens to be, uh, 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 Becky's father, shoots off a pistol and says, ah, but what about having a trial instead? <laughs> and, yep, uh, yep, and so they take him, they take Muff to the jail, they set a trial date for the next day. Also, this is a, the first scene in which this woman clad in black, like, uh, uh, this scene is weird because, like, mm-hmm. the two two new characters and local authority yeah. figures in the town appear out of nowhere. One of them is the judge, and one of them is this woman who we only find out at the end is, like, the widow... Widow uh, Douglas, yeah. Yeah, the widow Douglas, who... But it's like it's like she's, like, the mayor of the town, or the president of the town. Like, she speaks and everyone listens. She's like, we we need... No, we cannot in- let mob rule prevail! And, like, she <laughs> if, speaks with this authority that everyone listens to. If this wasn't based on Mark Twain, and this was just another Disney movie, 100% these two characters emerging at the same point, at this point in the movie would absolutely be there for some sort of witchcraft to yes you know they're posing as uh, upstanding citizens to yes. do some sort of nefarious scheme to also go after the treasure uh, and that you'd get these you know different opposing parties all trying to race toward the treasure at the end that's and how Tom and Hawk of, are the only ones to see through it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. The the there's it does feel like there's some sort of conspiracy happening by the emergence of these two characters, particularly uh, emphasized by the point that they seem to be the two most civilized in the town. Yes, yes, the two most civilized people in a town that that is basically three buildings and uh, <laughs> and a big. And, like, lots of mud where people stand around trying to hang each other. <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah. And JTD's incensed by everything he's seeing. Um, Huck appears, and then they start to run off together. Or, no, JTD tries to run off, and then Huck trips him again. Um, yes. <laughs> his favorite <laughs> his favorite move. And like, fuck a handshake he- for friendship. We're going to trip each other. Tom Tom invented Huck to make an excuse for why he keeps tripping over his own feet and falling. No, no, I'm not clumsy. I just have a I just have a cool friend who trips me and sometimes rescues me from when I'm drowning. <laughs> um, but uh, Huck flashes the uh, the blood oath in in JTT's face, uh, kind of indicating, "Don't you dare say a word, because then yeah. the illusion of my existence will be will be shot once people realize that you have a friend that doesn't exist." <laughs> Yeah, I will yeah. cease to be in existence. So, anyway, uh, they they have uh, a brief conversation in the woods where JTT saying he's not doing anything wrong, and it, this kind of puts the first strain on their friendship. And I, I, this sort of through line comes back throughout the movie, where it's like they're friends, they're not friends, and none of it really works for me, to be perfectly honest. I never really felt I it never really felt like they stopped being friends so much as they just argue a lot and as it is Huck is already kind of a standoffish kid in the first yeah. place so it never struck me as like anything really being at stake in their relationship. Yeah. Um but uh, Tom basically makes the point that okay, even if we don't break the blood oath, if we find the treasure map that that the murderer was because of, we can make the case that that that's why Joe murdered the guy like 
and, you know, because I think, yeah. because also Muff has made the point when they're about to hang him, like, no, 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 you know, uh, the doctor was trying to dig up this treasure map, and then and then Joe was the one who killed him, and no one listens to him, but the boys realize if they find the map, they can corroborate Muff's story. But isn't that still... <laughs> Like I, I mean, you're going, you're you're inserting yourself into the situation to a degree that's like, why not just go the easy route and say something as opposed to go through this whole story to, you know, find a treasure map to prove his innocence in which you're going to have to explain yourself anyway. Like maybe you could just chalk it up to the logic of children, but um, yeah, and I mean the logic of blood oaths. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, JTT comes across Becky on the bridge and. Um, she offers to have uh, have him push her in the water this time. Um, yeah. And she gives him an apple. Now, I just, now, I'm not all caught up on my uh, pre-industrial age history, but were apples romantic currency back in the day? I mean, with the, with the, like, with the biblical aspect, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> and... The term "the apple of my eye." I mean, I I, I don't know, man. I mean, most of this movie seems fairly accurate in re- in regards to the the time period, and also like just I don't know. People ate like people ate all kinds of weird shit back then. An apple was probably like a luxury good. <laughs> fair, fair point. Um, yeah, they have a, a brief little sweet scene on the the bridge where he explains, "Have you ever been engaged before?" Well, basically, what it is is you tell each other you love each other, and then uh, then you seal it with a kiss. And he gets yep. her to do this. Um, she's a little embarrassed by it. And he goes, oh, well, you know, when I was engaged to uh, Amy Lawrence and she gets, you know, uh, incensed with JTT, punches him in the face, uh, throws him over the bridge and uh, uh, shoots him with bow and arrows, senses him on yeah. fire. Uh, and then and then draws a pentagram and, <laughs> and demons drag him to hell for all eternity. But once every seven years, if you stand at the crossroads in Hannibal, you can still hear JTT's voice going, What gives, man? <laughs> Fades slowly to black. Oh, my directed God. Directed by Sam Raimi. That is amazing. Uh, back in town, uh, Joe is about to uh, reap... Um, okay, there's a lot of... Respect uh, to sow. Auto, autocorrect happening in my notes here, which says, Joe is about to reap event on the widow's gold. Oops, no. Ooh. He's asking around about the marble. So, ah, yes. You figure out whatever the fuck I meant to write there and uh, <laughs> run with it. <laughs> that This this AI-generated storyline makes no sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, Joe is walking around showing the marble to all these kids, asking who the marble belongs to, ah, yes. slowly tracing its uh, tracing its point of origin through all the kids who have traded it back and forth. Right, because right. I guess... I guess Marbles were a big thing back then, and also this marble isn't small. This marble is like the size of like it's like if you want to do the the comparison to pogs, it's not a pog, it's a slammer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. All, only '90s kids will get this. It's like it's the size of I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a thing that is roughly that size. Uh, not the size of a grapefruit, but the size of, like, a kumquat? I don't know. Like, okay. With <laughs> a marble the size of a grapefruit, I think, is called a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. It's, okay, whether you're whether you're into uh, pogs or kumquats, you'll get a sense of how big this marble is. But, uh, yeah, so he's trying to trace down yeah. its origin. We get our first glimpse of Potter in jail while Huck sits sentry uh, on top of the, the jail roof. 
and and Potter uh, asks the the sheriff, like you know, the sheriff brings him food, like, hey, did anybody you know anybody come to visit me? And the sheriff just laughs and says, no, nobody cares about you. Nobody's gonna miss you when you're gone. Jesus and he, he goes walking away. I know, I know, very grim, very dark movie. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, under a bridge, JTT is throwing some rocks into the water, uh, where Huck appears to tell him that, uh, Joe is on the move. Yep, and, and, like, you know, because Huck was initially reluctant to go, uh, try and get, uh, Injun Joe's, uh, I'm sorry, just Joe's, uh, uh, treasure map, but now yep. I think feeling sympathy for, uh, for Muff, he's, he's all in, and so they, uh, they head off on a little ripper and adventure. <laughs> yep, where they first appear at um, a tavern of some sort, a saloon um, that uh, Joe is speaking to uh, his new partner in crime uh, with. And I want to pull this guy up because I can't find him on here for some reason. He's a pretty well-known character actor. Do you know the character name by any chance? Uh, the character name it doesn't matter you know what we haven't gone into joe so let's do uh let's just go into um a little Emmett. bit Emmett. okay then we can go back to yes. him in a second but uh yes. eric schwieg um actually was doing a bunch of disney movies uh at the time of this movie um i'm trying to get back there right now where uh he played uh squanto a warrior's tale Okay, <laughs> Disney's Squanto, and then uh, I think followed this one up with one, or was it before then? Uh, yeah, I can't find it right the second, but he was also in Last of the Mohicans. Um, he's still acting to this day. Uh, I actually, you know, despite just the character as written in the book, I think Eric Schweig does a pretty great job with the character. I mean, yeah, there's, I, I, there's not yeah. a lot there to, like, bring him off the page outside of just being a brooding psychopath. But with that in mind, I think he does okay. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he's a, he's a convincing and charismatic enough villain. Yeah, I, you know, he throws a knife pretty well. That's a major <laughs> plot point. Well, it's, I find that in these Disney films, it's, a lot of actors find it difficult to uh, to toe the line of, like, how do I make this a believable character or, you know... Some people take it too far into the cartoon territory. Some people don't take it dramatic enough. I mean, he finds, like, the right perfect balance for what uh, this movie particularly needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I would agree. He, like, everyone in this movie, like, and I think that overall the performances in this movie are really good. Everyone seems to know, like, everyone is on the same page with the kind of balance they're trying to strike. So tonally, this movie feels pretty even, which is... Just not what I was expecting after a movie like uh, after a movie like Man of the House, where it's like, hey, one minute the mob is trying to kill Chevy Chase, and then the next minute uh, George Went is doing a rain dance. Uh, and Emmett, who is now uh, Joe's partner in crime, is uh, another character actor that goes back quite a way to the Lonesome Dove miniseries, where he played Soupy mm-hmm. Jones. Um, he was in uh, another. Uh, that's why I said Soupy. Soupy Jones. He was in Soupy. a couple. Soupy. 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 It sounds like... Soupy. It's, just, it's like that's a good nickname. Soupy. <laughs> Soupy Jones. He was in a couple of Coen Brother movies. Uh, Miller's Crossing. And... 
Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Uh, maybe maybe that's the only one. I thought I saw another one on here. I guess not. Okay, just that one. Um, <laughs> uh, and then what was I going to say? He was in um, Natural Born Killers and Waterworld, which is oh, wh- where I know him the most from. Uh, that's a real that's a real '90s trifecta right there. I know, I know. Uh, he's been in many other things as well, uh, up to Men in Black Three. Lanny Flattery. Lanny Flattery. That's a that's a. It's a solid name, Lanny. And set your watch to that name. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, they're so they're in the, yeah, they're in ahead. the tavern making uh, 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 Emmett and uh, Emmett and Joe are making plans in the tavern for how they're going to go get the uh, they're going to go find the treasure. And um, Tom and Huck are spying on them through the window. Also, they see him hold up the marble uh, and, and say, like, you know, the the kid who saw us had uh, you know left this behind. So they realize, oh shit, he's gonna he's gonna figure out who we are. <laughs> and then they tri- they trip over, and in a run of remarkably bad luck, they knock over a plank that like crashes through the window and and alerts everyone to their presence. So they have to flee again. But once again, Joe, yeah. Joe, one of his defining characteristics is always <laughs> always like not being suspicious, even though he is like a psychopath. He is the least paranoid psychopath. So like they come right. out, they look around, must just be some drunks, <laughs> and then they just leave. They like nope, we weren't being spied on. It wasn't anything. <laughs> He's a very trusting bad guy. Yeah, or just, yeah, limited capacity, who knows. Um, but uh, Tom and Huck, they run off. Uh, Joe walks off to uh, the dock where he gets in a boat. And um, again, in his like limited uh, visual scope, uh, JTT and Huck also get in a boat and set off right behind him like <laughs> yeah i on a completely empty river now first off this is a beautiful shot of the yeah. mississippi river at sundown yep but yeah and it's joe paddling away in his canoe smoking his little cigar and then tom and huck right behind him and no one else on the river <laughs> no one. nobody else i mean this is, the, the scene is playing out like a 1980s detective movie where somebody you know the detective gets in a cab and says follow that that car and there's, you know, they're inside of a car, and there's the city traffic to mask everything. This is literally just silent nature. You would 100%, yeah. even if you couldn't see them, you'd be able to hear the splashing of the oars, you know, not more than 50 yards behind you. Yeah, the, again, so much of this movie really just turns on in, on, on Joe just <laughs> having, like, tunnel vision and tunnel hearing and just like he's he's both an extremely threatening killing machine who also uh cannot detect anything around him <laughs> which comes into play in the next scene uh yeah but uh so the next scene kind of uh starts by awakening um the next day tom awaken ne- next awakens next to the embers of a uh a campfire that has been extinguished huck is nowhere to be found um but then all of a sudden he jumps down from a tree covered in mud. Yep. Questions and... <laughs> questions abound. <laughs> why why are you in in the top of a tree? How did you get mud on you? Was the mud at the top of the tree? <laughs> yeah, is there a connection between the mud and the tree? That's what I want to know. Did you discover a mud tree? But why Huck? why the mud? I don't understand the mud. Period. I, I, I was very, because, like, he, he comes down covered in mud, and Tom laughs at him, and then Huck starts smacking mud onto Tom's face, and then we just cut away from that scene, and I really just wish that the next, like, that then that was the only scene with them covered in mud, and then the rest of the movie is just them, do, and it's just like, yeah, they just cover themselves in mud at one point, you know, uh, kids, right? 
I, I, it doesn't make any sense, but we we find out that there's some sort of madness to this method, uh, <laughs> which is uh, that Joe is uh, asleep next to his fire, uh, not too far away from where the boys are, and they slowly yes. sneak down to it, covered in mud, head to toe, both of them now, um, and- as if this is some sort of apocalypse now camouflage (laughs) (laughs) they have they have come up from under the water as as a lengthy cut of the door as the end is playing and just just yeah totally covered in this tiptoeing his way towards joe and keeping uh an eye on the slaughtered cow out of the corner of his eye the horror horror. (laughs) you know dennis hopper is out there taking pictures of shit um yeah so they 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 Yes, they go creeping up to him, and he's he's passed out, and he's got, like, a whiskey still there. Like, yeah. this is, like, his camp in the woods, so this they is, say, oh, he's passed out drunk. And this is where I want to point out uh, where the theory of Huck being an imaginary character really solidified. For, uh, not even solidified. This is where the idea came in, and everything previous to this I kind of retrofitted into the theory, which I think fit really well. But what happens here is, for some reason, Huck refuses to go up to Joe. Like, there's no yeah. reason whatsoever that he couldn't go do this. In fact, I think that Huck would be better suited to it than Tom because he's so used to kind of tiptoeing outside in barefoot. Uh, and stealing pies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why does he make Tom do it? I'm not entirely sure, but that's what's going on. Yep, yep, and, yep. And if he's making Tom do it, why does he have to be dressed in mud as well? <laughs> I know, it's like... <laughs> It's like he was just doing it for the hell of it. Like he's staying, he's hiding behind a tree the whole time. <laughs> so, anyway, Tom goes sneaking up to engine uh, to Joe. I'm say- I told you I would fuck this up as we went on. We he know where your heart's in the right jo- place. I know, I know. Um, but he's sneaking up to where where Joe is sleeping with the with the treasure map, thankfully conspicuously sticking out of his pocket, and <laughs> trying to creep closer and closer to get it. At one point, Joe wakes up. A little bit and kind of looks around and and Tom, God bless him, just freezes like well, like in Jurassic Park, like the T Rex can't <laughs> detect you if he only sees vision or he only sees motion. <laughs> oh my god! Which that just and they they do this kind of panning shot around that has this blurry filter on it, uh, as if Joe can't see through his sleepy eyes. And uh, we even pass by JTT at one point covered in mud. And you could tell, even through the blurry vision of it, that it's a person standing there. But apparently Joe can't process that. Like, and and looking at it, it's like, if I'm drunk and and I wake up in my drunken stupor and look around and I see that, I'm not going, like, what it looks like isn't, oh, it's just a tree there. It looks like, oh my god, some kind of mud monster has come to attack me. (laughs) Like, he's made himself more conspicuous than if he had just stayed dressed as a normal person. He looks like a demon. Um, But I want to point out the thing that makes Joe wake up the first time uh, in this instance is that Tom sneezes when he's just about to pull the uh, the, um, map out of his pocket. Uh, Yeah. One of these kind of, like, not even deus ex machina, just one of the, I guess it's just a trope that whenever there's something quiet or something important, then a sneeze comes into play. Um, that's they call it a deus ex sinusa uh, <laughs> but it reminded me i watched um the tom hanks movie greyhound that just came out on apple mm-hmm. uh yeah. the other night and while i think the the sneeze trope is like 
needs to get out of this world. Like, I'm so done with it. There's a moment in Greyhound uh, involving a sneeze that was, like, the most perfect use of a sneeze in this sort of scenario that I think I've ever <laughs> seen. Uh, and this moment just kind of reminded me of it. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I I don't know. It seemed really weird that this is the only time. In, like, it's not even like, oh, Tom's got a cold or something. It's just, nope, he spontaneously sneezes right then and there. But <laughs> I guess also if they'd gotten the treasure map sooner, then, the, then they're, you know, the movie's already only 90 minutes long. They, this would have been a 70-minute <laughs> movie if he hadn't sneezed and well, put up another obstacle it'll be for them. two and a half hours by the time we get done with it. Uh. That's also true. <laughs> One other thing. One yeah. other thing I'll just point out. Yes. Um, I realize there is precedent for a person covering himself in mud to try and avoid detection while running around in the jungle. That's right, folks. Predator. The end of Predator. Ooh. To disguise his body heat, Arnold Schwarzenegger covers himself in mud, which I guess is cold enough to to mask all of the heat from his rippling biceps. Who would but, win, uh, uh, so- Predator or Tom Sawyer? Ooh, who'd who? Mm, I mean, Predator would win against Tom Sawyer. Against Huck, that's a more evenly matched fight. I disagree. I think uh, the second that the Predator sizes up Tom, uh, he would go, "You're not a worthy enough uh, prey to hunt." And Tom would go, "Oh, really? Well, you know what I think would be uh, the most fun hunt you would ever have is hunting yourself. <laughs> have you ever tried that? <laughs> I would certainly like to do that." <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't have the means. Why don't you go and try and hunt yourself? <laughs> hmm. That's, and then you the, speak the truth, young one. <laughs> and then the predator just starves to death, chasing itself, <laughs> like chasing its own tail for exactly. like a, a year in the in the jungle. Just I as those that, as those kids are whitewashing the fence, you just see the predator every so often run through the frame, hunting himself. <laughs> he's 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 trying to find himself on his heat vision thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, interesting point. Interesting point. Uh, you, you, that one might have to be a draw, I think. (laughs) Um, but, uh, Joe wakes up, uh, and, uh, after, um, what what was the last thing that, I I can't remember why he wakes up, but they don't get the treasure map and Tom and Huck run away. Joe wakes up yelling, goddamn wild boars, uh, thinking. Yeah, they, like, knock, they knock over a bunch (laughs) of his steel equipment as they run off. Also, he's, like, sleeping in a clearing. The sneeze wakes him up. They both go running off, and he goes looking around, and then they seem to have disappeared, and then he just, yeah, blames it on wild boars. He's on his feet brandishing a knife before they're even out of eyesight. Uh, Yeah. Again, just like he's completely blind to these two boys. Um, Yeah, and just so trusting of like, (laughs) oh oh, man, someone was fucking with my campsite. Maybe someone is after, maybe the kid who witnessed me murdering someone... (laughs) And knows I have a treasure map is after the treasure. More likely, it's just some random wild boars. It's, it's the thirty to fifty wild hogs that run into my backyard whenever my kids go oh out to play. Oh my god! Uh, JTT and Huck trapes through the woods until they come across a haunted house. Uh, Which and is the thing that just happens. Guess what? It's raining again. <laughs> yep. So into the house they go. <laughs> uh, they enter and it's overgrown with foliage. Uh, not. Unlike what I imagine most houses look like with the coronavirus going on right now, um, mm-hmm. as nature reclaims its, uh, you know, place in this world. Um, yeah, The Last of Us. I got gotcha. you. Yep, they're walking around. Uh, JTT gets his uh, foot, the sole of his shoe, stuck in a hole in a plank of wood. Yep, right at the time and... that Joe arrives with his partner. Now, okay, uh, time. What the? Where? Where is his part? Where is Joe's partner? 
in the scene that yeah. we just saw the boys running away from. <laughs> if Joe if Joe was going out into the woods alone, did he just say, "Hey Emmett, meet me tomorrow at X time"? Like, why didn't they go together? I, I don't. So many questions. <laughs> and convenient that they go to the that with all of Missouri's backwoods to run around, they go to the same place at the same time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Tom and Huck run and hide up in the attic while uh, Emmett and uh, Joe uh, go inside with the treasure map, and it turns out this is where the treasure is. So they didn't really need the treasure map. Tom and Huck didn't need the treasure map in the first place. Oh, I'm glad you wrote that wondering. note. Because I and I there there are even more questions I have as this scene unfolds. <clears throat> so we see, uh, um, you know, the 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 release of danger that we see is as Joe enters. We see the empty boot of uh, of. Tom's, you know, shoe still stuck in the hole, but they're not there. They're up in the attic, as you said, looking down through a crevasse uh, at, you know, Joe and Emmett as they begin to dig by the fireplace. Um, And Huck gets this idea as they lay out the treasure map on a table. Hey, I've got a fishing hook on a string. That let's (laughs) let's let's use the hook to hook onto the side of this paper map the way that hooks and paper work together, of course. And <laughs> Just hoist the it up natural the magnetism ceiling. between the two. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's basically science. You can't, you can't dispute stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're trying, to, they're trying to hook this treasure map, which at this point seems like a moot point. 100%. I guess if it's supposed to exonerate Muff, but that, I'm not clear on how it does that. was the, that was the one that. thing that I took from the scene, which is just like, oh... Even though they haven't done a great job of explaining it, that must be why they're so gung-ho on getting the map. Yeah, yeah, it's not about the money, it's about the justice. <laughs> Much like it is for Batman. Um, so they're... You know they're who hasn't get... directed a Batman movie is Michael Bay. Ah, well, there you go. There you go. See, it all It all kind of does click, doesn't it? <laughs> um, um, but he's trying to lift... Yeah, so he's trying to lift up the map, yeah. but uh, that doesn't wind up happening joe goes over to get the maps they're trying to hoist up the hook but then the hook catches joe's hat and it's and and they have it like halfway up over his head and then emmett turns around and sees just his hat floating in the air over his head he thinks it's ghosts (laughs) and uh that's a little bit of tomfoolery there uh wait a minute hold on i'm starting to think that this guy uh lanny flattery looks like he would be a villain in a scooby-doo adaptation i i'm surprised that he hasn't been in like, he, like he that's looks a, like the type of guy that would go you meddling kids if it weren't for you dot 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 um eat, but either I, that or he's the guy who works for the guy who yells that in the end he's like the <laughs> yes, stooge yeah uh but i'm not seeing any scooby-doo credits to his name so on with the on with the scene yes uh so they then um i mean they leave the well, house yeah, well, I think there's a few more things that we could pull out of that scene, which is uh, after he's afraid of the hat, flying hat, Joe just says, you idiot, it's cobwebs. Um, and they they were able to unearth the treasure, uh, which is important for the rest of the film. And what they decide is, um, okay, we've dug up this treasure. Let's move it and go bury it again. <laughs> yes. That, yes, that let's was, rebury the treasure. That was my big thing, which is like, why why burn the treasure map and then move the treasure and go bury it elsewhere? You were the only yeah, person like, who knows where it is. I mean, no one has found the treasure for decades, and and you're the only ones in possession of the map. It makes no sense. They say, like, we'll bury it under the number two cross or whatever, and, and 
you know, Tom and Huck don't know what that means. Right. But, yeah, so they take it and they just, yeah, and... and Joe yeah, burns they take the it map. And, they leave. and because Joe needs to be able to testify at tomorrow's trial in order to successfully pin the murder on, on uh, Muff. Yeah. So, Which is, so they can't... Yeah, yeah, with the map burned, the evidence of Muff's innocence is now up in flames. Yes. So uh, they leave... And uh, Tom and Huck uh, leave in, in their own good time, yeah. but then they find that, that the uh, raft they'd taken has washed away, so they have to walk back, and conveniently, that takes a long time. <laughs> uh, they find that they're... they're um, uh, oh, wait, I was going to say that their raft... Why do I... My notes are all kind of all over the place here, but um, we do get just a little brief scene here where we find out a tiny bit of Huck's past, that apparently Huck's pap, um, pap Finn, oh, yeah. um, taught Engine Joe, again, I just use the term, uh, taught Joe everything he knows about knife, knifing, <laughs> about throwing yes. knives, no. about sharpening knives, about types of knives. Fighting with knives. Uh, yeah. Fighting with knives, uh, doing damage to trees with knives, um, yeah. everything with knives that you could possibly want to do with a knife. He's a veritable Mac the Knife. <laughs> Pap, Pap Finn taught Joe. Uh, but he also taught Huck. And does this come into play uh, <laughs> in a culmination at the end of this movie? Not not too much. No, not not particularly. I mean, Huck. we do see Huck throw a knife just like uh, like like Joe does, but that's just at a tree for, for a goof, not really for any real purpose. Uh, or is it a wish fulfillment of Tom, who has seen what Joe can do with a knife and says, man... I want to be like that someday so that I could face him head on and thus uh, projects that onto Huck, his imaginary you know, it reminds It reminds me of this other movie where one of the characters uh, describes why he likes knives so much. And that movie is The Dark Knight and the character is the Joker. Uh, I mean, just further illuminating what a truly twisted world Tom and Huck live in. Um, <laughs> you know, for what it's worth, anyway. I would have I would have gone I would have gone to seen a joker movie with brad renfro as the joker i i yeah i mean i guess i'm sure brad renfro would would um would i i would well it depends on who directs it really i guess well i mean i he unfortunately passed away uh from an overdose in 2008 which was around the same time that heath ledger took the role of the joker you think it may have been neck and neck between the two of them uh, maybe I would, I mean, he was, uh, really on the top of his game right when he passed, so I wouldn't be surprised if he was at least in, uh, conversations for it. Yeah? yeah. Wow. So I, I feel like at first you were dismissing my rather tenuous theory, but now you seem to be on board with the connections here. No, 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 I'm not saying the connections, I'm just saying I'd like to, I would have liked to have seen Brad Renfro as the Joker. Uh, okay, well, then I, at least I'm glad I could help you realize that. I'm going to ignore the remainder of your uh, Joker references. <laughs> that's that's good. As, as That's what you should do with every Joker reference, <laughs> is ignore it completely. But as Tom and, uh, uh, Tom and Huck are walking, they hear bells, and then Tom points out, but it's not Sunday, that can't be church. Um, back in town, um, Joe is uh, bullying a kid uh, about the marble. <laughs> It was giving him just this wild story. Um, yeah. Let's him go. And the kid runs off uh, into the church where. Well, yeah. 
Well, I mean, the kid the kid tells him the last person who that marble wound up with was Huck Finn, but he's dead now, and then the kid runs off into the church where, yeah, where Huck the... Finn's funeral is happening. Tom Sawyer's funeral. No, I mean, I, Tom Sawyer's, Tom Sawyer's <laughs> funeral. I'm sorry. All, this, all, all the, boys well, alike. Well, your confusion is, is warranted because in the book they are giving, um, you know, uh, memories to both Tom and Huck, who they found evidence of in their wreckage. Uh, in the movie that we're watching now, it's only Tom. An interesting omission yes. if you're posing that Huck is actually a Tyler, Tyler Durden <laughs> that, character. That Huck, ne- well, yeah, that, that Huck never was there and the, was never alive in the first place. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the people of the of the town have found the raft that washed away. I guess it got wrecked up on on the river, and they found uh, Tom's hat inside, which is evidence enough for them that Tom is dead. I just think it's interesting <laughs> that like. I, when I because I I remember like the oh yeah everyone assumes that Tom has died on the river Tom gets to go to his own funeral when I saw the scene at the beginning where Tom is involved in a horrible boat accident and very nearly dies I thought that that was the setup for this but no it's an it's instead it's another boat mishap that happens largely off screen <laughs> I was confused this about this I I actually assumed watching this that they found his hat from the wreckage of the earlier boat wreckage in the sea uh, in the movie. And they just didn't find the hat until now, uh, because we see no wreckage of the second boat. No, we don't even see, we only not find out that the boat washed away when, like, Huck mentions, like, ah, too bad the boat washed away, we gotta walk home. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> this whole scene is curious to me, because, yeah. like, they, they know there's a funeral going on, rather than walking into the church to see what it's about, they have snuck in and are in the ceiling of the church, a whole lot of them being in ceilings of places, first the ceiling of the ghost house, now this, they're looking in, they realize, oh shit, they think Tom is dead. Tom is excited about, like, how happy everyone is, or, well, how sad everyone is just for him to be gone, realizing how much the town loves him. Um, but so I'm think I'm watching this scene, and I'm like, wow, okay, so they know that, in- they know that Joe is after them. Now it's advantageous to Tom, because now Joe thinks that Tom is dead. This will give him the upper hand in his uh, battle with his nemesis, in- uh, Joe. And, but then, in the middle of watching all this, Huck shoves Tom aside, Tom falls through the ceiling of the church and into the middle of his own funeral, and so it's like, oh, okay, so, why was this plot point here? What did this do? (laughs) Exactly. And not only that, but the reaction, the town's reaction to seeing Tom again wasn't like, oh my god, a ghost. It wasn't like, I mean, they just immediately rejoice. There wasn't a... Tom, what the fuck are you doing? Your pranks have gone way too far this time. Which is what yeah. I would assume for a character like Tom, who's always putting people on. They just immediately are like, oh, thank God you're, you're alive. Every single person in this town is so happy uh, to, Ex- to see him alive. Except for Becky Thatcher, who, who he had earlier overheard saying, if Tom, was, if Tom was alive right now, I'd kiss him so much, but then... When she sees that he's alive, she punches him and walks away. <laughs> if, if Tom's alive, I'm going to punch him so much. Um, and, yeah, so we, we cut from that to a scene that I, you know, again, would think that it would be, you know, the ant now being over um, <laughs> the fact that he's alive uh, would go and punish him or admonish him. Uh, but, no, she's, she's giving him a sponge bath. <laughs> Yes, weirdly, but like somehow but muddier guess, than he was when he fell <laughs> through the roof. I don't know why he's so dirty in this bath. 
Yeah, I don't know, because it's like, they were covered in mud when they're trying to steal the map from Joe, and then when they're in the haunted house, they're clean again, but, and they're, they're clean when they're in the church, but now it's like, the mud got back onto him sometime between falling through the roof and getting home. Nonetheless, uh, uh, Tom clearly hates being in the bath, and his brother is clearly rejoicing and saying, like, shall I bring you some more soap, mother? Like, really, <laughs> really getting at it. That was a really good impression. Um, Thank you. (laughs) His brother is a class A toady. My note here was, Sid is the worst. (laughs) Yeah, Sid Sid is like a chaotic mark. Um, So we cut to the next scene. Uh, Next day, JTT is walking through the forest again. He messes up his hair, his nicely combed hair that his aunt did for him. Uh, And he comes up to Huck, who is now packing up his belongings to move on down the river. Yep, he is, uh, and he's explaining he doesn't move because he wants to, he moves because he has to, people get sick of him, and I'm things get sick of dangerous. being run out of town. Does anyone in yep. the town even know he exists? I am certain <laughs> to this point in the movie, not a single character has interacted with him except for Tom. I'm, teacher, I'm 100% positive of that. The teacher at the beginning, when, when Tom comes in late, like Tom says, I was hanging out with Huckleberry Finn, and the teacher says, you should never speak that name or something, but... <laughs> Yeah, other than that, like, Huck is really under the radar, and nothing that's going on right now seems to have anything to do with him. Um, and But yeah, so he... And he's he kind of brooding as he's kind of packing and, and walking away, and Tom's like, what the fuck? I thought we were friends. And uh, Huck is like, I ain't got no friends, no time for them. But if I did, I wanted to be just like you. And I'm like... You're sending a lot of weird mixed signals here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pick, pick a side, Huck. Like you're, you're. Don't play with a boy's heart like this. Um, but then Joe appears out of nowhere and uh, throws yes. JTT down in the pit, formerly known as Huck Finn's home, um, and then throws the marble at him, which is not anything because, as we've already discussed at length, it's not any ordinary marble. This thing could do some damage if thrown at the right speed. Yeah, no, it could it could brain you pretty badly. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then Joe throws a knife and hits a picture of uh, presumably uh, Pat Finn. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know who this weird picture. Like I was thinking, like, is that a picture of Abraham Lincoln? Except no, this, <laughs> yeah, this story is before anyone knew who that my, was. My brain went to Harrison for some reason. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, he hits the picture in the face, and Joe uh, basically is threatening JTT with the with the knife, and. Uh, or not even he's he he is you know playing these torturous games by asking yo jtt yo jtt i hear you got a totally unauthorized biography about you why don't you bring me that knife uh and he forces tom to bring the knife over to him and gives the opportunity he bears joe bears his chest and gives uh tom the opportunity to stab him yeah and uh tom starts to to press or press it into his chest but then joe grabs him and Puts the knife to his own throat, and then he disappears. What the fuck? <laughs> like, not even maybe... just disappears, just like, poof, gone. I, this, this kind of, this lends even more credence to your theory, because, like, maybe maybe Joe isn't real either. Like, Joe well, and Huck both don't exist. This is interesting you say that, because by the end of this movie, well, I guess that's not true. There is an epilogue where people interact with Huck, but I was going to say, yeah. the first person outside of Tom to interact with Huck is Joe. <laughs> in that in that cave at the end, like, uh, all of Tom's multiple personalities are at war with one another. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real split. <laughs> oh my god. Um, JTT goes uh, back to town to see Potter. Why? Uh, 
because I don't know. He he wants yeah, to just... what? No, no. I mean, just to, just to hang, I guess. Just like you know, he had to just say hey. I think we need bad, the the storytellers, the screenwriters want to bring back the the moral obligation that Tom has by uh, reintroducing the innocence of this man who was grave digging. This is a man who was committing a crime. I, it wasn't murder, I, I, <laughs> but it was a crime. Do you want to feel sorry for somebody who is exhuming the body of a dead person? Yes, I do, in fact, Landon, because the fact that he's exhuming the body of a dead person points to the fact that society has failed this guy in a myriad of ways. Exhuming a body isn't a violent crime. He was doing it Fair. for money because he because society has not provided him with, with a job or with shelter or with sufficient food. He's, he's going to use the money to buy alcohol because society has not provided him a way to treat his addiction. Yeah. And so... The fact that we should shame and ostracize this guy when, when honestly, we should be helping him and extending a helping hand. Uh, all I'm saying, Landon, <laughs> is uh, that all gravediggers are bastards, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> is this the sort of discourse that Mark Twain had in mind when he wrote this book? For, I, I think for so. For centuries to come, people will be debating the moral uh, fortitude of Mutt, <laughs> Muff Potter. Yes. Yeah. Also, if your name if your name is Muff Potter, I mean, you're going to have like you're not going to have an easy life. Like that's, that's fair. He's marked at birth with a name like that. <laughs> uh, so we um, go back home where uh, JTT is brooding in bed when uh, his aunt comes to check in on him, and she could tell, hey, something's weighing heavily on this boy. And he uh, kind of asks her about, like, well, what if you've got to do the right thing, but you also signed a blood oath saying that you wouldn't do this thing? And I don't really remember what advice she gives him, but uh, evidently it's the right advice. <laughs> yeah, because we cut to the next scene, which is the trial of Muff Potter. Yep. Everyone is crammed into one of the town's three buildings. <laughs> uh, Joe among them. It is, and... it is the school slash church slash uh, courthouse. Uh, slash bingo hall, slash gay club, <laughs> depending on what day of the week it is. But, uh, yeah, so the prosecutor is making a It's also a the pretty... foolery. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's where Tom does most of his work, yes. <laughs> um, but the prosecutor is making a pretty, uh, pretty ironclad case against, yep. uh, against Muff, like, oh, this, you know, they've got the guy who sold him the knife, and yep, you know, and it was, that was Muff's knife, they have... Joe get up there and testify against Muff. Yeah, and, and I want to take a take a moment. It's been a second since we've um, highlighted a few character actors. Uh, the prosecutor, Mr. Sneed, is played by Peter McKenzie, uh, a gentleman that I see from time to time at uh, Starbucks near me. Near me. Oh, um, which oh I, just name drop in here. Hollywood. <laughs> Listen, Solano I know Peter here. McKenzie. What do you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's still working to this day. Uh, he is one of these like. Uh, character actors who you retain the term prolific for. Uh, he has got so many credits dating back um, to the 80s all the way to uh, present time when he is still working. So, um, Peter McKenzie, how about that? Uh, how about him? We also didn't ever mention um, Judge Thatcher, who is played by Charles Rocket, uh, who started out uh, on SNL, one of the few uh, newscasters uh, who... Um, one of the first people to drop the F-bomb on Weekend Update. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, most, I think most people from my generation, maybe your generation, we're in the same generation, <laughs> know him <laughs> best uh, from another movie that came out one year before this called Dumb and Dumber. 
Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. He's the bad guy in that. Yes, yeah. he is. Uh, he was also in Dances with Wolves, uh, Robert Altman's Shortcuts, um, mm-hmm. Third Rock from the Sun. He did a lot of television. Uh, and unfortunately, he uh, took his own life in 2008. 2005. Oh, God. Okay. Poor, well, poor that's, one out. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is a that is a sad uh, that is a sad uh, ending to that that I did not realize until I scrolled to that part of the Wikipedia page just now. Yeah. Damn. Uh, but let's let's uh, let's not end on a dour note. Let's go into one final character actor corner for Michael Mishane, Mick Shane, who is playing Muff Potter, uh, another prolific character actor who appeared in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, Office Space. Uh, he did a voice in A Bug's Life. Um, one movie that he had a very small part in, but I love this movie to death. It's called Drop Dead Gorgeous, uh, starring mm-hmm. a uh, Kirstie Alley post Cheers role. Okay, uh, okay, is it, okay. Is it I can respect Kirstie that. Kirstie or Kirstie? I think it's Kirstie Alley. But wait, no, maybe it's actually I don't know what it is. So don't ask me. <laughs> he also was uh, a voice on King of the Hill. Oh, how about that? That's all I got. How about that? <laughs> Back to the trial. Already in progress. Yes. Um, yeah, so they're at the trial, and uh, Joe testifies and uh, and says it was Muff, and everyone seems willing to believe him, and Muff has a terrible public defender yeah. who is just... JTT like, watches one, with fury at this. And at one point, even the, the widow, um, the, the widow, what's her name? Douglas. Even, like... Yeah, the widow Douglas even like admonishes um, publicly admonishes uh, Muff's defender for not doing a good enough job yeah. as a lawyer, which is kind of like I. How do you how do you get to be the like local widow who just kind of keeps everybody in a small town on the right track? <laughs> because that know. seems like a cool job. <laughs> uh, the last time I've seen that on screen was actually Meryl Streep in Little Women. Uh, yes, actually, uh, fair, fairly true. Fairly true. <laughs> she was pretty much that same. Maybe that's why she seemed so familiar to me. Um, but so then, uh, then they call Tom to the stand, yes. and Tom takes the stand and testifies truthfully that uh, I was in the I was in the graveyard at midnight trying to trying to uh, get rid of warts with a dead cat, and I saw I saw what happened. I saw that it was Joe <gasps> who stabbed the guy. What? And Joe everyone, has everyone a look of terror on his face. And the school teacher tries to say that no, Tom lies all the time. But Tom says no, he stabbed him. Like, because when Joe was up there, he said that that uh, that the doctor was stabbed four times. Yeah. But uh, Tom says it was three times. Well, the sheriff says it was three true. times. That's true. I never told anyone that. <laughs> yeah. So one of those like things- one-liners that I love when you're able to get an impassioned actor to be able to deliver something at a pivotal moment. Yeah, this is going in my reel. <laughs> um. But yeah, so Joe Joe is angry uh, that that Tom has done this, and he leaps up and he pulls out his knife. I guess that's a good reason to not let this guy take a knife into the courthouse. <laughs> and he uh, throws it at Tom, who picks up the massive Bible in front of him and holds it up, and it, it <laughs> what, sticks through. What it. version of the Bible is that one? <laughs> the that's the, the version that's, that is I don't know about uh, six inches deep. Uh, it's it's the well it's the large print Bible. There's like three <laughs> words per page. <laughs> It, it's got lots of pictures. Yes, <laughs> it's the Illustrated Children's Extreme Teen Bible. Um, but the the knife goes straight through the Bible in a moment that I thought was a little shocking for a Disney film. Um, I thought the same thing. Like, hey, hey, you kids like JTT? 
wouldn't it be terrible if he got stabbed in his pretty face? <laughs> now, don't worry. We didn't do it this time. <laughs> but it's a possibility. I, well, I thought it was shocking that it was a Bible that they allowed it to go through. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose so. But also, that, that's suggesting that God saved him, so... <laughs> I guess so. It's just a book, man. Good. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that's that's hey, my you know impression what? of hey. God. Hey, God save the teen, am I right? <laughs> am I right, guys? <laughs> anyway, uh, so he... <laughs> He, he like uh, JTT saves his life with that, and oh uh, Joe leaps up and goes running out of the room and jumps through a window. The sheriff, goddamn useless, like tries to pull out his gun, but he's just like slow getting it out. Like <laughs> if only co- if only cops today were as slow about pulling their guns as this Ooh. as this cornpone sheriff back <laughs> in the day. Yeah, um, but yeah, Joe uh, tears off once he's you know through the wreckage of the window. Uh, and immediately meets up with his partner. It's nighttime again. <laughs> yep. And his partner is packing shovels. Uh, Joe accuses him of cheating him. Hey, you're going to go run off and, and dig up the, the treasure. Why, why, if they're hiding it so deep in a cave, why do they have to then also bury it? I have so many questions. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, he just doesn't trust, uh, doesn't trust Emmett and gives him literally a knife in the back. Because that's yep. what he felt Emmett was doing to him. He 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 got yet another knife that he threw at him. Um, and this is where I get a little confused with what's going on because the town decides to not go after Joe and instead conduct the picnic that they were going to do anyway. Because we, the uh, yeah, next scene like- we cut to is Tom peeling apples. Yeah, and because they're they're about to go to a picnic, like the town wide picnic, it, it it is really weird. It's like okay, we had a murder trial. We just found out that the guy we were all ready to string up was innocent, and there's now a murderer on the loose. <laughs> I guess let's all party. I, the, the, like, there's some mention of like, like his mom says to him, like, oh well, you know, you're gonna be safer. You know, you'll be safer at the picnic where everybody is than you would be at home. And there's also some mention that a detective is going to come up from the city to ask Tom some questions. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, ooh, I wonder who's going to play the detective. Ooh, that'll be exciting. Get a little kind of mystery action. Like, uh, no, that never happens. That does not. That's, that in, does the, not... that's in the sequel book. Oh, God. Uh, Investigation of Tom Sawyer above suspicion. And, you know, the world's greatest detective is Batman. Um, so, Well, actually, oh, God. You know, there is a sequel book to this where I think it's Tom Sawyer goes to London. So he could, yeah, in yeah. theory, meet up with Sherlock Holmes. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I do remember. They don't they go on, like, a hot air balloon or something to, like, England and start solving crime? Like, yeah, for, for, for 80 days, and they go sequels. all the way around the world. Uh, yeah, and then uh, and then they find a, a jumping frog of Calaveras County in the process. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, um... And I can't think of any other Mark Twain stories to go with. So I had a Confederate Yankee and someone's uh, Connecticut Yankee. Ah, shit. Okay, these bits aren't good. The (laughs) podcast is long. The room is hot. Um, (laughs) We're almost done. Um, They're preparing for the picnic. Uh, Sid pretends Joe. This is another, like, really sick joke. I couldn't figure out the tone of the scene because as, as, uh, you know, um, the aunt is kind of assuring tom that you know as you said he'll be the safest at the picnic uh all of a sudden sid goes hey do you guys hear that i think it's at the front door and he walks over opens the door and goes hey tom joe's here for you (laughs) and 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 the aunt just laughs at him (laughs) 
she, she just it's like hilarious to her like oh the guy who almost murdered my son oh oh by the way my son witnessed a murder the other day and and ah but we'll have a well, laugh maybe it's because it. it's not her real son oh yeah i guess so i guess so <laughs> yeah if it was my actual kid i'd really be upset about they it. they all have a good laugh at jtt uh to the point where jtt can't sleep again and yep. uh boy that boy needs some rest he hears a, a noise out the window just like his horrible dream before but this time it's hook or is it? Oh, boy. Is Huck real? Who knows? We haven't found out any yeah. evidence to the contrary yet. <laughs> it could be a dream. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to go over between what happens between Tom and Huck there? Uh, I, no, not not in particular. I think Huck is just kind of pissed at him for uh, for having uh, broken the blood oath, but that's about it. That's about it. We go to the picnic yeah. the next day. Uh, the girls are playing a game with mirrors. Uh, they hold it up in front of their face, and then they're supposed to see the visage of their husband. Becky well, holds it was like something, yeah. But also, like the game, the way it goes, it's like, oh, you throw the hemp seeds over your shoulder, and when the, and you hold up the the mirror, and you'll see the face of your next husband or the or the man you'll marry. And my reaction is just like, so they're throwing hemp seeds around. So they're basically growing weed out here, <laughs> and no one's no one's talking. No about one's that. the wiser. Um, yeah. The Becky holds up the mirror and sees uh, the visage visage of Tom. The visage. The visage. Yep. Of Tom as uh, he appears behind her, and um, she's like, "Ah, God damn it! Now we got to get married because superstition." Yeah. Um, yep. Meanwhile, a newly uh, exonerated Muff Potter is tending all of the kids. <laughs> I like again this town. This town went from like everyone was ready to extrajudicially assassinate him, yeah. and then they find out that he didn't do it based on the word of a kid who no one in town trusts. And they're like, "Fuck it, let him take care of all of our kids. Let's make up for lost time." He's still we used a to hate him. Alcoholic grave robber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he's definitely owned up to the grave robbing. Um, but they know he's yeah. telling. He's telling stories to all the kids, and then... Not only that, he's telling a story about a kid, about, to the kids, about smiling corpses. Taking it kind of back full circle to the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I, oh, oh, that's a, that's, that's a very good point. It's, it's all, it's all kind of circle, uh, circle logic. But, so he finishes telling this story, and then he's like, well, that's all the stories I got. Y'all want to look at the cave? And the kids will go, Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so and then they just he just up and like grabs a torch and starts leading all of the town's kids towards a cave like and there's so many kids by the way so there are many loads of children yeah like and oh, immediately man. like gave me a new perspective on picnic at caning rock and i'm like was there another yeah. instructor there that took those five girls away uh and <laughs> that's why they didn't <laughs> reappear it would have made that movie would have made a lot more sense if they'd included that deleted scene <laughs> <laughs> um anyway huck wanders uh into a burnt part of the forest and comes across joe's joe's old campsite um and throws a knife don't really yep. understand the purpose of that whole uh scenario i i honestly do not myself uh but but then uh, yeah back in the cave yes back in the cave like everyone's like Muff is standing with the judge, and it's like I guess most of the people in town haven't been in this cave before. But you know, Muff is telling him like, "Oh, I call this the in- indoor cathedral, or like the cave cathedral, or something." The judge is like patting him on the shoulders, like, "Well done, Muff. Well done. Sorry about all that that unpleasantness yesterday." <laughs> They're just like and, standing in awe of all this stalagmite that is poking up from the ground. And 
and uh, Tom and Becky go wandering off into a deeper section of the cave against the warnings of the uh, of the adult supervising. Well, and, uh, I, they I, go let's, de- let's say, let's just call it what it is. He manipulates her into it by daring her not to. Fair, you're right. You're right. She she goes on. She goes deeper and deeper, and they've both got they've both got candles with them, and he's egging her on. Keeps saying like, you know, she keeps thinking she's discovered a new part of the cave that she can name, and Tom keeps saying like, oh, I've been here before. I call it this. I call it that. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Joe, he's back to walking at night alone. I guess. Uh, well, he's he's back to walking alone at night, and. I don't understand how they just went from a daylight picnic scene to going into the cave to it being night all of a sudden. Because Joe, it is, we're cutting back to Joe, and he, you know, as if he's bringing the darkness with him, is uh, heading oh, well, heading to the cave as well. Interesting symbolism. Interesting, yes. But uh, yeah, yes they they head to the they head to the cave or like he's heading for the cave and like Huck sees him right going that way. Yeah. Yeah. So Huck spots him and realizes, oh shit, Tom's in trouble. Um, and then we go back to like, the cave. We go back, yeah, yeah, back to the cave. And is this where now all the kids are, are leaving the cave? Yeah, and Potter starts drinking again, not having learned what? a single lesson. He's like he's standing at the entrance, like beckoning all the kids out, and he goes like, "Okay, is that everybody? Yeah, I think that's everybody." And like the other, you know, he just starts drinking and sharing the the bottle with the uh, with with one of the other adults, and it's like, well. Here's the reason why you don't put this guy in charge of supervising children, guys. This is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, then uh, as his old tricks, as the kids are exiting, the judge is watching. Uh, he's kind of looking out into the woods while uh, Huck is watching the judge. And um, I don't know. It, it, there's this weird like, what what the fuck is Huck doing? <laughs> he's just kind of circling around everything. I don't quite understand what they're doing with this character uh at this point in the movie um, it's like huck doesn't really have a role in the movie just yeah. generally the movie could just be called tom it, they don't <laughs> need huck 100 percent. yeah they could have cut his uh his role out of this movie entirely um this movie could have been done in a tight 45 minutes it's, then uh you know the ant comes up uh, apparently huck is missing again um yes or not huck tom is tom uh we cut and, and the sh- and the sheriff comes up that oh god that we, you know the Emmett has been uh, found murdered with a knife to his back oh, that's it's right. got to be Joe yeah uh, JTT and Becky are um, helloing their way through the cave uh, which creates uh, reverberations Joe being in the cave already hears them and then all of a sudden it creates a giant cave in yeah you can't uh, rock you can't have their way a cave in a movie without a cave in. No, no, no. If a cave, if a cave is just like being a being a stone structure hollowed out of the ground, it's not. You're not using that plot point to its fullest. <laughs> no, rocks not at have all. to fall. People have to be in. Danger. In fact, it was right before the cave in happened. They were going hello, 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 and the first thing that came to my mind was Mystery Science Theater, and I was just like, Paul. <laughs> uh, then the then the cave in happened, and then I was waiting for Bigfoot to show up with Zachary Ty Bryan on his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> That would be great if every if every one of the Home Improvement Kids movies all lived in the same universe. <laughs> that would mean there's a pizza tree, uh, or at least maybe those weren't hemp seeds. Those were pizza tree seeds that were being thrown over their shoulders. <laughs> Tom Sawyer Island is actually Magic Island. <laughs> Tom Sawyer visits <laughs> Magic Island. That was like the yes. 15th uh, in the serial of his stories. 
Um, a, a magic, a magic island pi- uh, pirate in uh, in Tom Sawyer's court. Uh, uh, so the town is preparing yeah, so a search jo- party. Yes, the town's preparing a search party. They go back into the cave. Meanwhile, uh, Tom and Becky are running from Joe, who is chasing them through the caves. He's chasing them at a pretty at a pretty relaxed pace. He's just kind of stalking There's along after them. A lot of. Um, they, they've kind of done away with the knife play at this point in the film, and we're left with a lot of uh, outreaching hands, you know, grabbing through rock faces and stuff like that at them. Um, yeah. Which, at this point, Joe, is, he's seen them, and he hasn't said a word to them. He hasn't spoken a word since the cave-in, and I was wondering, did he, like, suffer some head injury here? I <laughs> I mean, maybe that ju- maybe jumping out the window of the courthouse did something to him that that hasn't been fully treated. Maybe I guess I, but just the the way that uh, this is all unfolding was very strange to me, uh, and it was moving at such a clip where I don't know exactly what the fuck's going on with Huck's story. The search party seems to be an afterthought. Tom and Beck, or yeah, Tom and Becky are kind of off doing their own thing, and it's not really developed from going from speaking hello and naming caverns to, oh shit, there's a cave-in, oh shit, we're being chased, it really feels like, at this point in the film, they're just adapting the Cliff Notes version of Adventures of Tom Sawyer rather than the actual text. It's like they were kind of writing the end of this movie 15 minutes before they started shooting it. We're just like, ah, fuck it, okay, they all find each other, I don't care how it works, it's coincidence, it's happenstance, like, it is all just very coincidental that they're all in the same place at the right time. But uh, Tom and Becky wind up getting away from Joe long enough to, like, stumble into a new chamber of the cave where they see, like, a cross and the number two chalked underneath it. And they realize, oh, number two under the cross, this is where the treasure is buried. Yeah. And in this same room, there is a, uh, there is, like, a passageway out. There's, like, a hole through which daylight is it's coming. It's daytime. Which is weird. <laughs> Because the search party was searching at night, so it's odd. And not only uh, that, but Joe brought the darkness with him not more than, you know, maybe an hour ago. But then he went into the cave and the darkness, uh, the darkness stayed outside, I guess. (laughs) God. But, so Tom, Tom sends Becky up and out through the, the hole, tells her to get her dad and go get help. And then he starts digging under the, under the cross and finds, uh, the treasure chest full of coins. Uh, but suddenly Joe... He appears, and he pushes JTT, and he slices JTT, and he punches JTT, uh, and uh, JTT... More kids getting hit. I know. JTT is, like, prepared to fight. He's got a cutlass that he found on the skeleton of, uh, I guess, Captain Morell. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. This whole tre- you know, in a really Goonies moment, apparently this, this treasure um, you know, belonged to him to begin with, and uh, he's got this old rusty cutlass that he's uh, fighting Joe with. And uh, Joe kicks it out of his hand, and it slides across the ground and falls down an endless, bottomless pit <laughs> that exists. Yeah, it's ba- yeah, they just out of nowhere. It's like I, I, I <laughs> it was weird to me. Very little of this of this movie is about caves until the last fifteen minutes, when suddenly every cave trope in the world comes in. You've got bottomless pits. You've got falling rocks. You've got uh, everything. Wouldn't you think? I guess that- those are the two big. Even beyond the the riches that are inside the treasure chest, the idea that you've just discovered a pit to the center of the earth might make you more rich and famous than any gold coin might ever do for you. 
I feel like the sequel to this is Tom and Huck, like, trying to sail a raft down that pit to, like, go to China or something. <laughs> Tom, Tom Sawyer's Journey to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, played by, uh, played by, uh, uh, JTT and Raquel Brendan Welch. Frazier. <laughs> yes, uh, e- either of those is good. 10,000 years BC. Um... So, uh, yeah, they're, so they are fighting at the edge of this bottomless pit when Huck shows up in the cave and, Does uh, a Bruce Lee dropkick to Joe. A barefoot dropkick to the face, which just seems to add insult to injury to me, just like getting kicked in the face by a, the barefoot of a child who's been walking through everything in town I, and never bathed. I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you highlighted it, uh, in the IMDb trivia, it says, Studio Trademark, Bare Feet. Not something uh, I was aware of in Disney movies. Well, I mean, Disney owns Miramax, and Miramax produced a lot of Tarantino movies, need I okay. say more. fair point, uh, fair point. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, Joe recognizes Huck as the son of the guy who taught him how to knife fight, and uh, they continue In continue the, the first moment that anyone has ever even acknowledged Huck's existence in this movie. Yeah. Hey, you you also live in Tom Sawyer's head, just like me. What gives, bro? Or could it be that he's actually recognizing Tom in that moment as Tom's, uh, you know, uh, skills with knives finally emerges for the first time? Because we also don't ever see Tom's uh, dad in this movie. No, we do not. We do could not. Could they be I one mean, in the yeah. same? Could, could they be imaginary brothers? <laughs> Perhaps. Um, but... Uh, all of a sudden, Tom appears, and he has this uh, uh, new plan. He's got the, the treasure chest in his hands, and he's about to throw it over the pit. And Joe Joe gets all finicky. I don't know. I'm trying to draw up the excitement that this he, moment he gets, brought. Yeah, he's like, no! <laughs> I, that's, I think that's the excitement. He, he, he freaks out because this is the MacGuffin that has driven the whole plot, and he goes lunging for him. He grabs he onto grabs... the treasure chest with one hand, uh, Tom's shirt with the other, and uh, all of a sudden, Tom is holding uh, Joe up at the precipice of this, uh, the mouth of this endless pit. Um, how? Because Tom, uh, Huck is also Huck. holding, God, I can't get their names right. Huck is... Well, well, but I mean, yeah. but if they are, if, if Huck exists in Tom's mind, then truly it is Tom holding him, him up inexplicably, <laughs> Thank Thank given the weight disparity. helping me with my own theory there. Um, yes. And, uh, eventually he, you know, uh, Tom's shirt rips, leading, uh, Joe to kind of flail backwards, taking the treasure chest with him all the way down to the bottom of the bottomless pit. And and we get this weird shot where the camera like follows him, you know, like the camera watches him fall yeah. all the way down the pit. You, and we never really hear him hit the ground. Darth Maul's his way down there. Ah, uh, yeah, just just flipping over and over again. And the camera just sort of pans and pans and pans back up and around to where Tom and Huck are now just sitting, dangling their legs over the edge of this bottomless pit, staring down to where this man died because of them. Uh, and it turns out <laughs> that. Uh, uh, the treasure chest was too heavy for Tom to pick up, so he had to empty it out. Uh, Huck was worried that they lost the treasure, and he's like, nope, I just uh, emptied out the coins because the chest was too heavy to lift, but not too heavy to tip over. Uh, I, I know, yeah, that's weird. Like, not... He had time to scoop all of the coins out. But and Joe wouldn't know. have recognized the weight disparity as soon as he grabbed it from him. and go, wait a minute, this is an empty chest. I don't know, well... 
I don't know that Joe, A, I don't know that Joe was doing a lot of deep thinking in those moments, and B, Joe's not good at noticing things, period. <laughs> That's not in his skill set. He's great at throwing knives. He's pretty good at showing up in dreams. Not great at anything else. Oh my god. I mean, not to take anything away from Tom and Huck, but I don't think this guy was the most fearsome adversary they could have they could have gone up against. Uh, fair. They uh, they emerge and the town um, has the the search party. I guess has gone all night and has ended up right back at the beginning of the cave, where um, or not the beginning of the cave. They found their way around to the little. The little hole that uh, well and exists. Becky brought them there. Oh, like Becky okay, I missed that point. Got them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, as um, soon as they emerge, uh, the town erupts into a hip hip hooray. Not a yes. They what the up. fuck happened to you? Where were you? Is this another one of your pranks? No. Yeah. A hip hip hooray. Yeah. They they come out. They they're carrying like they've got they've got all the coins with them. They're coming out. Everyone's celebrating them. Everyone interacts with Huck for the first time in the movie. Uh, you know, I need and, to watch the scene again on slow mo to see if Tom is uh, slowly putting a gold coin in each of their hands <laughs> as he's emerging <laughs> to get this hip hip hooray. <laughs> yeah, pay, paying them off one by one. Well, because then. Like, the next scene is, like, we see a newspaper headline, like, Tom Sawyer, hero. No, curiously, no mention of Huck, who was very involved in the whole process. <laughs> and the town, and, this is presumably, enough time has passed for the town to have written an article and posted it, or printed it, and posted it. So, I would say, what, at least 24 hours. This is this is enough time for a reporter from a large enough city to have a newspaper and a printing press <laughs> to have come out, gotten the story, gone home, written the story, had the story be typeset, printed, and then an issue of the paper to make its way back down the river to Hannibal. This has been a while. All of that to say that the town is still cheering Tom as he's walking through the streets, as if he it was yeah. the same moment that he walked out of the cave. He, he is walking, like, they put this thing up in a store window, and then we just pull back to see Tom walking down the street, and it's like every single person in town comes over and touches him. <laughs> They're all just, like, patting him on the back, or, like, you know, or ruff, ruffling his hair, or, like, clapping his shoulders. Yeah. Like, everyone has to touch. And again, what did he really do? He found some treasure. We're not clear on who the treasure went to, and uh, and pushed a man down a hole. <laughs> Uh, how do you think he affords all those uh, subsequent adventures across the the Atlantic to London and, um, you know, he, uh, yeah, all of that stuff? He does uh, it with the, the how, treasure how is, he found. How is he able to uh, to invest that seed money in Uber? Like, it's, yeah, it's with this, it's this ill-gotten gains. <laughs> um, or those seeds in the pizza trees. Uh, also worth mentioning, uh, Tom is now a fancy boy. He's got, uh, yes. he's dressed to the nines in a new suit. Um, and as the town is cheering and patting him on the back, he realizes, oh, oh no, no, not at all. This won't do. I don't like being civilized. Nope. And he tears nope. the clothes from his back as he ruffles his hair and runs off into the forest. Yes. And, uh, he goes running and he winds up at, uh, Huck's old abode to find some besuited lad kneeling amongst all the things and starts yelling at him. Hey, get out of here. This isn't your place. And the besuited clean lad turns around, and who is it but Huck? Huck? <laughs> Huck? What the Huck? Um, and it looks like uh, Huck is going to give this civilization thing a try. Uh, because because Widow Douglas has adopted him <laughs> and is going to 
send him to school now. <laughs> yep, and uh, he can't resist the idea of putting gray hairs on the heads of uh, the people who are looking out for us. Um, yep. That, that's definitely more fun than the cool shit he was doing before, <laughs> is going to school. And then uh, they cut on this... Or they don't even cut. They, they kind of freeze frame in this kind of French Nouveau style. And I what? all of a what? sudden... Well, yeah. no. well, no, okay. So they, they are starting to walk... Like, at first, Tom is like, no, well, you can't, you can't go live in town. I'm going to live out here. And he says, okay, suit yourself. And then Tom realizes he can't hack it in the wild, so he's walking with him. And yeah, Huck says something like, "I got some ideas that'll put some new gray hairs on on the on your aunt's head." And Tom was like, "Yeah, what do you got in mind?" And then they're walking, and they start walking in slow motion. <laughs> That's like right. a Wes Anderson ending. It's an unusual. I was wondering for the last fifteen minutes of the movie, like, how is this going to end? Is it going to be a jumping in the sky freeze frame? <laughs> but no, it's just them slow motion, and then slow motion turning to like a black and white tin type old timey photo of them together. <laughs> and it. it- really just made me feel like man i want to see like the terrence malick version of uh a, a tom sawyer or huck finn or both story yeah actually yeah the very kind of like slow brooding contemplative yeah. uh, like long shots of like the sun dappled uh, trees and everything <laughs> granted it would turn mostly into a documentary about the insects on the bark of a tree uh knowing terrence malick but um yes. i don't know it just ended on such a like non-Disney artsy kind of tone that I'm like, that was such a weird way to end end this movie. That moment was, like, weird. Um, that This was this was such a weird, like, emblematic of the whole movie. This is such a weird movie for an A-list, at, like, two A-list teen heartthrobs to be in. A movie yeah. that is generally very accurate to the period, fairly constrained in its scope, and kind of just... I, and a fairly fairly faithful retelling of a Mark Twain story, none of which are things that you would think teenagers in the 90s would be ripping and raring to see. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's strange, but I feel like in the 90s they were kind of just struggling to figure out what is what, what are these new markets? I mean, these markets didn't really even exist to a, a large degree before, you know, the 80s kind of fractioned everything off. You know, they, you yeah. had family entertainment beforehand, but now we're talking about... We need to develop specifically movies for the 11 to 13-year-old audience. I mean, that's such a finite amount of, uh, you know, audience members there. So they're they're paving their own way. I'm not saying it yeah. forgives this by any means. It's not even bad by any means. But it's like, no, I it, it is. It just lives in this weird world of, well, that's a competently made movie starring some bubblegum well, I don't want to say bubblegum actors. I actually really like Brad Renfro, but uh, and and I thought J- yeah, JT and JTT is great in this. He, he's yeah. awesome. It's it's a, a really good performances across the board. I, just an overall competently made movie that just isn't that great, but is by no means bad. It's just, it appeals to like I feel like nobody. <laughs> you know, it's not adult enough to appeal to adults, and it's not kiddie enough to uh, appeal to the younger audiences. And it's not, and it's not bad enough to appeal to like stoners who want to watch <laughs> right. a shitty movie and mock it. It's just, it just is nothing. It just is kind of, it 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 is the most like generic movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, it it is the movie equivalent of a communion wafer. 
<laughs> Which is sad because uh, I don't know. This is like this is uh, Brad Renfro's third film after his Oof. breakout in uh, 1994, the year before, in The Client uh, with Susan Sarandon and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, and then the next year, he would go back into dramatic territory with Sleepers with Brad Pitt and oh, uh, De Niro and Hoffman and all them. Um, yeah. And then this is only three years away from Apt Pupil, the Stephen King nomin- uh, uh, adaptation with Ian McKellen, the, the kind of neo-Nazi movie. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you're right. That's uh... – <laughs> He shit. That's yeah. That's a interesting trajectory. Yeah, he he's just Brad Renfro just had such a strange career, bouncing between all these sorts of things and never quite landing that that one role that uh, you know. It's he has echoes. I feel like uh, he was in this movie called Deuces Wild with Stephen Dorff when Stephen Dorff was like almost gonna be a thing, but then we decided collectively, eh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> where he plays a character that I'm like, oh my god, if Brad Renfro was just, if he was coming up in the 80s as opposed to the 90s, if he was like 10 years earlier, he would be a sensation as like starting out in like The Outsiders and some of that more dramatic territory that, um, you know, his contemporaries like Rob Lowe or Patrick Swayze uh, would have been nailing at the time. Instead, he's kind of coming on the tail end of all of that and doesn't get any, like, really meaty roles because he's kind of forced into the, like, 90s, uh, uh, what do we do with, you know, uh, movies like Tom and Huck, where it's like, this is for a kiddie audience, but, I don't know, the talent is just kind of wasted on him. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. He was not given a lot to work with. Which is, yeah. yeah. I mean, as we said, his character basically could have been cut from the movie and did not seem to exist for much of it. <laughs> it's just a shame. It, it really is yeah. a shame. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess on that somber note, thanks for listening. <laughs> um, yeah, this is normally where uh, we would do the outro to the show, unless there's anything uh, we didn't cover that you want to. I think... I think we covered Tom and Huck more thoroughly than anyone has ever thought about this movie. <laughs> then I think the next movie we cover, uh, not this season, but soon, is actually going to be a Patricia Richardson uh, TV movie, which I'm very excited <gasps> about. Um, my, my hat has just lifted off of my head in joy like, uh, like uh, Joe's hat does. Uh, I think we're taking a break from uh, the, the testosterone of Home Improvement for a while. Um, Thank God. Yeah. Bring on that estrogen. <laughs> um, and as far as bonus episodes uh, for this season, uh, we are only doing one more, which is our Super Spectacular, where uh, we will be you know, answering the uh, questions of our favorite episodes this season. Uh, we'll be doing our MVP debate. Who do we think is the MVP of season five? Um, yes. We'll be doing the series and season grunt counts. Uh, I mean, if you listen to the, the past super spectaculars, you're going to kind of know what to expect. So yeah, yeah. No big surprises <laughs> except for our grunt count, which will be surprising. <laughs> will be very surprising. Um, so uh, look for that in the next week or two. And until then, um, I've been Lana Solano. I've been Truman Caps, and um, yeah, keep keep wearing a mask, and uh, don't use a dead cat to get rid of your warts, or you never know what's going to start. <laughs> See you next week or sometime soon.